At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, former Freddy Lowe. Welcome to Mobile Las Vegas for Coast Coast with myself, Greg Ibs Peterson, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Now, because of Greg Peterson experience, it's from midnight to 3 Eastern time, 9 to midnight Pacific time. This is going to be a short recap in segment number one. I had to do breakdowns for 66 games, including handicapping Ford in terms of Sunbelt, and that took north of three hours. So for that reason, you're getting only about an eight-minute recap. So I do apologize there, but you're going to be getting all those picks and all those analysis in the final segment as we hit some bank shots. You're going to get lots of great analysis there. In segment number two, you're also getting a nice chat with Eli Becker. He does great work over at HXCBB. We're going to be taking a look at the lay of the land in college basketball. How he's deciphering what we've all seen out here on the West Coast as well and just how inconsistent some of these teams have been as well. So we're going to have some fun there and if you ever do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is by Twitter slash X timeline at JNN underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star view. And I did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball on Wednesday. Let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. I did get in a few questions, by the way, just with a shortage of time. I will try to answer those either tomorrow or we're going to have a lot of time the next few days with Christmas break happening for a lot of these teams. So we will certainly be answering a lot of those there. So have no fear on that front. But we did see UConn go on the road and they got pounded by Seton Hall 75-60. to 60. You recall last year UConn was tremendous in non-conference play and then towards the beginning of Big East play they had their bobbles before they picked it up. Perhaps we'll see something similar this year though. This was an outlier three-point shooting performance from UConn. They went just 4 of 21 from distance with 17 turnovers. Meanwhile for Seton Hall they did a nice shot punching it inside. They only went 3 of 8 from 3-point range but Kadari Richmond took over this game 23 points, 8 steals, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 
for UConn. Those turnovers were a little bit ghastly as Cam Spencer, just five points in this one. And while Tristan Newton was able to chip in there, 16.6 rebounds to six turnovers. That was rough as well. And we're seeing these home underdogs in Big East play. We saw it with Providence on Tuesday. They're really starting to take hold. My DK network right up, unfortunately, did not hit. That drops us to 26 and 20 on the campaign. So we will look to bounce back. I had the over in Rice versus Prairie View. And Rice did their part with scoring 82 points. And Prairie View shot 33% from the floor. 82 to 56. We'll look to some more trustworthy teams on Thursday, but for Rice, they did a really nice job. Travis Seavey being able to chip in their 28 big points, and for Prairie View, I mean, man, they just got absolutely laying base on the glass, losing that battle 47 to 26 with Matt Fiedler being able to chip in their 14 rebounds. You did also see the most harebrained total of the year. It was right around about 177 to 178 throughout the day in Iowa versus UMBC. Go over Iowa. They get it done 103 to 81. Iowa, by the way, has scored at least 75 points in now 26 straight home games. And for UMBC, they push this total over because they go 13 of 25 from three-point range. In a normal circumstance, this game goes under. I feel like you made a good call if you took the under like I did. But, I mean, there's nothing you can do when UBC goes that hot from three-point range. And for Iowa, you did have Ben Cricky go for 17 points, 12 rebounds. Iowa, by the way, they were laying about 26 points, so they're unable to cover that number. But all sorts of hair-braininess there. Chicago. State's cover run comes to an end, but Chicago State, outright winners, four straight wins for them, 55-54. to They take down Bethune-Cookman, and the reason why Chicago State does not cover this game, they scored just six points in the final 920 of the game, so that was a little bit underwhelming if you took that one, and this one was a very exciting game with Duke being able to take down Baylor by a count of 78-70. to This was a total that was hovering right around about 153.5. I always have a theory about these Madison Square Garden games going under, and you can see the shooter's eye wasn't necessarily there for Duke, but they did a nice job punching it inside, and for Duke, they go 24-29 of at the free throw line. You're able to get 21 big points in this one out of Jared McCain. He stepped up. Kyle Filipowski, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, Three steals, and for Baylor, they do go eight of 18 from three-point range, but 14 turnovers. They actually had a winning battle on the glass. They won that battle by kind of 30 to 29 with Eves Massey being able to chip in their 10 rebounds, but Duke being able to get to the free throw line, being able to really force their will on Baylor, that allowed them to be able to get the job done there. And if you, like me, had the points with UC San Diego to start the day, this was absolutely wild. We saw Cal get up in this game. I believe it was 34 to 8. I mean, they were just completely clobbering UC San Diego. And then there was a point where they blew the lead altogether. Cal regroups to be able to win 71 to 67, but they do not cover the number as they brought Jalen Tyson, a top 20 scorer in all of college basketball, off the bench. They've got Jalen Celsin, a lot of skew back in the fold. And for Cal, just nine turnovers in this one. They won the turnover battle, but they got plowed on the glass. You see San Diego actually wins that battle 43-30 to with having 20 points off the bench from Tyler McGee. So that was very heartwarming to see. You saw Oklahoma State win but not cover against Wofford 76-70. And as I am doing this, we've got quite a few games that are currently in progress, including Creighton currently up by kind of 40-30 to on Villanova. And this one is just going final with Northwestern just plowing Arizona State 65-46. to just no offense whatsoever for this Arizona State team. They get Adam Miller back in the fold, but Adam Miller went 1 of 10 from the floor. And for Arizona State, it's not even like they turned the ball over or anything like that. Just 10 turnovers. This team just can't shoot. They went 3 of 18 from 3-point range. And for Northwestern, they have struggled on the glass all season long. They really win that battle. 
41-30. to Despite the fact that coming into this game, the only guy that was registering north of five rebounds per game was Brooks Barnizer for Northwestern. They do turn the ball over 12 times in this one, but Boo Booey, he was able to give you 22 points, so that was a massive one there. And right now, Gonzaga looking for a cover against Jackson State. This is looking more like the Gonzaga that we all know and love. They're on pace for an over with a 57-39 count with about 14 minutes remaining in the second half. Like I said, I do have to cut this recap a little bit short, so I apologize there, but if you're looking at what we've all seen last seven days in college basketball, we have seen things be a little bit underwhelming. 114 unders to 98 overs. That's a 54% rate to the under and home underdogs in this time span. 28, 21, and 3 against the spread. That is 57% and favorites overall have just been having a rough time of it. 93, 116, and 8 against the spread and overall for the season, underdogs have a slight lead over favorites against the spread. Favorites, 889, 901, and 28 against the spread. Meanwhile, unders, they still have a disadvantage to overs. 910 overs, 890 unders, and we've had quite a few pushes along the way. That is 50.6% to the over thus far this season. And home underdogs now up to 211, 210 against the spread, 51.3%. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Wednesday. Well, that's not all that we got, but that's all that I could fit in here because we've got north of 60 games on the board for Thursday, and we've got a great chat coming up next with Eli Becker. He's going to be talking about the West Coast landscape, what we've all been seeing in college basketball, these Big East Conference games, and so much more. That's up next right here on Coast Coast East with myself, Peggy Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. 
Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Sports Betting Innovative Analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas with Jessica Suits with myself, Greg H. Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. 
Always great to be joined by this man as Eli Becker. He does absolutely amazing work. All right, he checks CBB. Taking a look at this great game of college basketball that we all know and love. He's the founder of that tremendous website. I know that he has been so hard at work taking a look at everything that we're getting in what has been an absolutely rambunctious college basketball season. He and all the great writers over there at DCBB, such good follows in terms of college basketball. And to be able to follow Eli on Twitter slash X, that is at his last name, Becker, that is spelled B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R underscore. And then Eli and them for DCBB, easy enough, at DCBB all together. And Eli, it's always great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Absolutely great. Always a really fun time to hop on and talk college basketball. I know we've got plenty to talk about, a crazy week this, this past week. So always fun to hop on and chat. It is always fun to have you aboard. And Eli, we're through about a month and a half of the season thus far. And we're going to be seeing some interesting action towards the back half this week with the Diamond Egg Classic. We've got the Sun Bowl Challenge that's going on as well. That's always a little bit of a fun one out there in the great state of Texas as well. But in terms of what you've all seen the last few weeks, more a few teams that you're taking note of right now, and maybe they're teams that you didn't have in high regard coming into the season that all of a sudden you've had to change your tune on, and they're climbing up your list of teams that you're willing to trust. That's a good question. I think for me, I think it starts with UConn. I didn't necessarily think that the Huskies were not going to be a threat this year to win the Big East or anything like that, but gosh, it just feels like this program hasn't missed a step at all compared to what they were doing this past March when they were just mowing down teams and cruised to a national championship game with really without breaking of sweat. And even despite the losses that UConn had in the offseason, they lost Adama Sanogo, Jordan Hawkins, and Andre Jackson leave uh, to the NBA, Joey Calcaterra as well. A lot of pieces that had moved out of the program and even despite that, and this is a bit of a younger team uh, as opposed to some of the experience that they had last year, but gosh, the ascending of Tristan Newton into one, arguably one of the best point guards in America. He's probably in the conversation for the best point guard in America to this point. Um, Donovan Klingon, who a lot of people loved as a breakout guy entering the year, and, and I was one of them as well. Um, he hadn't necessarily been all that dominant the first few weeks of the season I know that he's been dealing with uh, some foot injuries as well but he looked just marvelous against Gonzaga and had 21 points and was just an absolute force on both ends but even beyond that some of these death pieces as well Cam Spencer and Alex Caravan they just seem to have the knack to hit every single possible dagger three that you could imagine UConn's ability to go on scoring runs and then also just swallow up the deep uh, swallow up the offenses on on the other ends has just been really, really impactful. And it's similar to what we saw with last year's UConn team, where it could be a close game and in the blink of an eye, UConn could go from up four to up 13. And just like that, it feels like the game is on the brink. And that's exactly what they did against Gonzaga in Seattle this past Friday. It was a two possession game, went on a quick run right to end the first half. And you look up on the scoreboard and UConn's in the driver's seat. And I expect that to continue throughout Big East play. And I know it's so rare for a team to, to go back-to-back in this sport. And who knows what could happen once March comes around. But UConn has to be on the short list of national title contenders at this point, just given what they've done. And even some of the pieces they haven't really tapped into yet. Like I know they have a great freshman class that haven't really produced all that much so far. I know Stefan Castle has been banged up, Jalen Stewart, and also Solomon Ball trying to get those guys up to speed in the college game. 
and they're supposed to be pretty decent contributors. And I don't even know they've gotten, gotten really all that much out of those three yet. So once we get to March, this is a team that is probably about eight deep that could be really, really tough to play in the NCAA tournament once again. And gosh, it just feels like Dan Hurley's really got it rolling once again in stores. Oh, he no doubt about it does. We're doing this before we know exactly how things turned out with them on the road against Seton Hall. But I'd be surprised if they lose that game. Them covering double figures, that's a little bit more of the question. But man, this UConn team with what they've been able to get out of Tristan Noon, Donovan Klingon isn't even playing a ton of minutes yet. He's only at 21 and a half minutes per contest. I expect that to elevate as the season goes along as he works on his conditioning. This team is so dangerous as Eli Becker, who does amazing work over at Each CBB, is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And that does lead into a little bit of another question as well, because with the Big East, they're really the first conference to try this, because as we know, a lot of conferences like the Big Ten, the Big East has certainly done this from time to time as well. We've seen it from the ACC. They play like those one or two straight conference games. It's like late November, early December. But then up until I would say after Christmas, it's back to non-conference play. This year, we saw the Big East decide to start rolling with Big East conference games starting on Tuesday. We're going to be seeing some more on Friday and Saturday. How do you evaluate these conference games? Because as we know, there's a lot of kids that are off campus, and it does feel a little bit strange that we're going to have a lot of conference games in which we might not be getting solids for some of these venues that are some of the best in all of college basketball. And it does leave me feeling a little bit uneasy about starting conference games quite this early because I do think that it hurts the home team a little bit. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. And it's it's a strange time of year where teams are more prone to being upset or having letdown performances. If teams have buy games this time of year, it seems like those are sometimes a bit more of a sweat than maybe we would anticipate. And I think that partially has to do with fewer students on campus, whether they're already home for the holidays or maybe it has to do with finals week. And I mean, sure, this can be kind of chalked up to an excuse and the best teams in college basketball will always take care of business regardless of the circumstances or where they're playing and, and so on and so forth. But it is just kind of an unusual time of year. I feel like it's probably the first time where weather is really starting to impact the travel schedules for some of these teams. But kind of going back to UConn again, and I was in attendance in Seattle for UConn's game against Gonzaga. And that was a 3000 mile road trip that UConn went on to go all the way up into the Pacific Northwest to play in Seattle. And they had to travel a day ahead of time just to get acclimated to the time zone. And all of that to say to play a top 10 team on the road, 3000 miles away and four time zones away, and to still get the job done in the fashion that they got the job done. I mean, the best teams are going to do it regardless of the circumstances. So we may see some hiccups with some of these teams that are transitioning from by games into conference play. But one of the things that I've been curious on my end, and I don't know if there's statistical backing here, but with so many of these high major teams that sprinkle in these by games throughout non-conference play, I do think there is some benefit for the teams that close their non-conference portion of the schedule with quality non-conference games, because uh, if you're just to take one of these teams for a high major team, that's playing a sub 300 Ken Palm team on say a Saturday. And then the following Wednesday, they're supposed to turn around, go on the road and maybe play a conference rival in a packed arena 
or they're playing a top 25 team that's a quad one opportunity or, or anything like that. That's just a big change of pace. And I know the players and the coaches won't admit that because they're trained to always say that they approach every game the same, but it just isn't. Like, <laughs> for example, Purdue is going to play Jacksonville and Eastern Kentucky at home. And then they're going to turn around and go play at Maryland, which I know that the Terrapins aren't all that great this year, but that's been a really, really tough place for the Boilermakers to play in recent years, ever since Maryland joined the Big Ten. That's a trap spot. And I know Vegas won't necessarily show it, but that's definitely an opportunity for Purdue to maybe slip up and, and have a loss against the team that they are supposed to beat. That's the joy of conference play because a lot of these teams are conference rivals. They have crowded venues and uh, and are really passionate about beating these teams. And there are just opportunities that present themselves, especially this time of year as we're making that transition into league play where these are circumstances where the, the favorite can definitely slip up. So I'm curious if there are going to be any teams that do that or they may even be caught looking ahead and could ultimately end up suffering a, a quad two or a quad three loss that uh, may may make things a little bit more of a challenge come selection Sunday. Yep, and you never know when these upsets are going to come. We always see it towards late December, early January. These teams slip up, and as a matter of fact, I know you remember this last year. New Mexico was the last undefeated team in all of college basketball, and they took their first loss before the new year as well. So you never know what you're going to get there, as Eli Becker, who does such an amazing job over at He Checks CBB, is joining me right here on Coast Coast Soups. And Eli, I know that you do such an amazing job taking a look at the West Coast part of college basketball. We are certainly going to be getting some interesting games. We're recording this prior to Thursday with that UNLV Hofstra game that's going to be going down. That's one that I'm taking note of. Oregon having to play against Kent State. That is not going to be an easy matchup for them. And I do feel like in terms of the West Coast landscape, there's no doubt about it. Arizona's that top team. They lose that game against Purdue. There's absolutely no shame in that. Right now it's Arizona and absolutely everyone else. But how do you take a look at the rest of the West Coast landscape? Because outside of Arizona, I don't think that there's that demonstrative top team, but just taking a look at what would be the normal hierarchy, because typically it's like Arizona, Gonzaga, UCLA as your top three in no particular order. This year I feel like it's much more jumbled up with teams like New Mexico, teams like Utah State stepping up and Gonzaga really taking a step back this year. It is a bit of a changing landscape and. It might be a little bit different if BYU is still in the WCC because I know that they're now transitioning to more of a centralized conference, if you will, <laughs> centralized conference and also mentioning that UCF is in, is in the Big 12 these days. But the heavyweights, if you want to call them that out of the West Coast, it's always going to be the Pac-12. And right now it looks like nobody is going to catch Arizona. I've been lower on Colorado than the national consensus. I, I'm still kind of waiting for them to prove it to me that, that they are going to be a legitimate contender. And so far, the best one on the resume to this point is Miami on a neutral floor. I, I don't know if that's really going to push the needle a whole lot for me at this point. Looking at the Mountain West, I think that's where we're going to see some of the best teams in, in this portion of the, the country because I was saying this on a show earlier this week, but we're over a, a month and a half into this thing, and I think there could be a reasonable case for six teams to win the Mountain West. And as long as I've covered this league, I have never said that this late in the season. And there are several reasons for that. I think the first one being that San Diego State really has not impressed very much so far this season. I know they stand eight and two. They don't have a bad loss on their resume because both of their losses uh, came on the road against BYU and against Grand Canyon. Both of those teams could very well be represented in the NCAA tournament. 
BYU most likely via an at-large, and Grand Canyon, I think, could reasonably win the WAC. They're probably favored to do so at this point. But beyond that, San Diego State had to play in overtime to beat Washington and Cal. Those are middling Pac-12 teams that are kind of on the outside looking in as far as the tournament's concerned. Uh, UC San Diego on the road, they just had to barely sneak that one out with a late bucket. And then UC Irvine, which has been a very, very good team this year. I know they're about top 60, top 70 in most metrics, but they almost lost that one at home as well. So San Diego State not being their typical top 20-ish self that we've gotten accustomed to under Brian Dutcher, I think has opened the doors for, say, Colorado State, which has been really, really solid so far. I know they're dealing with a couple of issues on the perimeter as far as injuries are concerned, but Isaiah Stevens leading that team. They're going to be super dangerous, but there are three other one-loss teams in this conference in New Mexico, Nevada, and Utah State, and I don't really think there's a whole lot of separation between those three. They do a lot of different things really well, and they do have different weaknesses, but with those three surging, and then even Boise State, which at, a, at an 8-3 record isn't all that impressive, they've, they've played a really hard non-conference slate so far. They've already played, I believe it's six Ken Palm top 100 teams to this point in the season. I don't think many teams so far, if any, are able to even say that. And so they're sitting right now without any poor uh, defeats to this point in the season with a pretty uh, solid schedule. So the Mountain West is wide open and could very reasonably get at least three, if not four bits, possibly more, depending on how this shakes out. They just have to make sure that they don't suffer any defeats to the lower half of the conference, because I do think the lower half is a bit weaker than it has been in years past. But beyond that, WCC, even though Gonzaga appears to be somewhat down, there just isn't a team that appears to be on the same tier as the Zags with BYU out. St. Mary's has been kind of iffy so far. They have a really tough time scoring the basketball. Same thing with San Francisco. I don't know if it's going to be a one-bid league out of the WCC, but it's it kind of looks like it's turning in that direction. So like you said, long answer short, Arizona is definitely the king out west. Mountain West has a number of contenders that should be able to reach the NCAA tournament. Don't know if they're ne necessarily going to be top five, top six-ish type seeds. And then beyond that, it's it's really Gonzaga and whoever else could maybe come out of the WCC. But it is kind of slim pickings right now and it is a little bit lonely at the top for the Wildcats, I'd say. Yeah, but certainly is. And strangely, that team might be Santa Clara right now owns three wins over the Pac-12, which... I did not think I'd be saying that. And their loss is actually against Cal, of all teams. So that is how crazy things have been this year in college basketball. And Eli, just how have you taken in this college basketball season? Because it does feel like it's been very all over the place, to say the least, as we are recording this. There's currently four undefeated teams in college basketball. And it just feels like every team, no matter how much strength they show, there is some weakness to them. And I do feel like in this sort of year in college basketball, we use the phrase wide open so much last year. And I do think it gets overused, but I will overuse it once again. I do feel like this is a pretty wide open year once again in college basketball. It feels like there isn't a whole lot of separation from, say, the 10th best team in the country to maybe the 30th, just looking at what the AP poll looks like. I, I don't think that there's that big of a difference. I'd be curious if the upper echelon, if you will, which as of right now, I would say it's probably Houston, Purdue, UConn, Arizona. I don't know if you want to toss maybe Marquette in there. Kansas probably belongs in there, even though they've been kind of a little unimpressive in terms of what their buy games have looked like. Maybe Baylor, although their defense is pretty suspect to this point, but it feels like there's a pretty solid core of teams at the top of the uh, of the national ladder right now. But beyond that, it feels 
very wide open. And uh, Oklahoma's sitting seventh in the AP poll. I want to downplay the the success that they've had so far this season. And Porter, Porter Moser's done a really great job to get the Sooners to 10 and 0. But I don't know how many games above 500 the Sooners will finish in, in Big 12 play. It's it's kind of a prove it and, and we'll see what happens. But a lot of this comes down to how well teams can take care of business against weaker teams. And I know one of the discourses that we've seen of late is talking about Iowa State, which now sits in the top 10 of the net, even though they've really just thoroughly blown out weaker opponents, but it's inflated their metrics to some extent. But at the same time, uh, you've got to take care of business against weaker teams. And the quad four losses, if those end up stacking up, a team goes from a pretty solid lock into the field to getting bubbly in a hurry. And for Iowa State's case, so long as they can take care of business in their next couple of bye games, then entering Big 12 play, the the worst loss they could suffer is probably at home against West Virginia. And pretty much every other game is going to fall in the quad one or quad two uh, of the of the net team sheet. So a lot of these teams that are going to enter conference play with nice win-loss records without any bad losses, it really puts those teams in the driver's seat to do some damage, to pick up good wins in league play, and ultimately get a nice seed for the NCAA tournament. And that positions them to win multiple games and, and have a chance to go on a run like a San Diego State did last year or, or Florida Atlantic or so on and so forth. So I'd say a, a pretty solid group of teams at the top of the national uh, national ladder, but beyond that, it really does feel wide open. It's it's just going to come down to who can avoid those those bad losses as as often as possible. Yep, without question, and I do think that it is going to be so fascinating to see what we get moving forward as well. There's a lot of teams that they look so great one night, like Creighton. I think is such a good example of this. They'll put up 90 points one night. They'll put up 65 points. The next night just feels like it's one of those years in college basketball. And Eli, you and everyone else over there at HXCBB are doing such a great job of deciphering all this. It certainly has been an interesting year in college basketball, to say the least. But you guys are the best in the business. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you. And how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. I appreciate that, Greg. It's always a pleasure to hop on and chat college hoops. And as always, you can find our stuff on heatcheckcbb.com our social media handles are also heatcheckcbb and we'll be rolling through and getting ready for conference play coming up i know it's basically upon us so i know we'll be rolling here at the start of january really looking forward to everything that conference play will hold so always a pleasure to hop on and talk college hoops with you and it is always great to get eli becker aboard he does such a great job over at heatcheckcbb taking a look at this great game that we all know and love and whenever he's on the show i feel like we get just a little bit smarter so big thanks to eli for joining me on coast care soups now part of the visa family podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball thursday as we continue at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar see for yourself when you sign up today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets when you bet just five dollars Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot. 
The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps. 
in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. And we're back here Bobby Las Vegas for Jessica Soups with myself, Greg Eubes-Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, it is always great to get Eli Becker aboard. Does amazing work over at HXCBB. He's the founder of that great network. 
Every single time he joins this show, he does a great job letting his insights, making us a little bit smarter about this game that we all know and love of basketball. He, much like myself, doing a great job holding it down here on the West Coast. So, big thanks to Eli for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNRS41. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first. This is all of your major conferences. And then these conferences are the ones included in the extra games. The America East, the Atlantic Sun, the MEAC, the SWAC, the Big South, the Patriot League, the Southland, the Northeast Conference. So that'll keep things nice, clean, and easy. And let's get things started with 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. Eastern Michigan is going to be playing as Hampton. Hampton is an underdog of 4.5 points with a total of 150. And I did set my total 146. I'm going to be diving in on the under when it comes to this Hampton squad. They have been rough, to say the least, as far this season. But legitimately, both of these teams have not been able to execute defensively. Eastern Michigan, last year they were a train wreck with Monty Bates in the fold with the guards their defense. And they're not a lot better this year. 343rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Hampton, 305th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Hampton, they actually are getting reinforcements back in the fold as... Jordan Nesbitt, their top scorer from last season, who was able to average about 15 points. Threw in there three assists, a few rebounds per game. He's back. He scored approximately six points in each of the three games that he's returned for. I do think that this is going to be going northward, and he does have a little bit of a running mate in Tedrick Wilcox, who's been able to give you about 14 and a half points per game. Shoots 39% from three-point range. It's a Hampton team as a whole. They do shoot 33% from the outside. Biggest bugaboo for them has been 14 and a half turnovers per game, but they go up against an Eastern Michigan team that is actually a quite slow team, and this is going to be a game that starts at 10 o'clock a.m., Pacific time. If you're looking at Eastern time, that's 1 p.m. So I do think that there might be a little bit of grogginess with these teams, which is why I do look at the under. I said my total at a 146, but simply put for Eastern Michigan. Very one-dimensional offense. Ty Acuff has given you 22.5 points per game. He has been tremendous. You don't have anyone else on the roster that's logging north of 9 points per game. Orlando Lovejoy has now returned to the fold, and that should be able to help this team out a little bit. He was able to average about 5.5 points per game eight seasons ago, but he's not too much of a three-point shooter. You've got no rebounding to speak of with this Eastern Michigan team. You've got one guy that is currently averaging north of 4 rebounds per game, Julius Ellerby. Be able to give you about 5.2 rebounds per game. Fully recognize that this is not an amazing Hampton team, but they held in there against Bowling Green, actually led for much of that game, held in there against UMBC. It was not a great game against James Madison, but they were able to get to 70 in that one. They came close to covering that one as well. So at the very least, it seems like they've been close. Eastern Michigan covers that game against Michigan, but it's because Michigan defense is rough to say the least, and Eastern Michigan has really been propped up by a very soft schedule. And with Kyrie Smolin for Hampton giving you about 8.5 rebounds per game, 15.5 points per game, you should be able to win the battle down low, and that'll keep Hampton in this game. I did set Eastern Michigan as a two-point favorite. I think that they went out right just because with what you're getting out of Nesbitt, he's not fully 100% yet, but I do think that him being back is enough of a booster for Hampton to be able to hold in this game. So, won't take the points with Hampton, set them as a two-point underdog. He made my total 146, so you're at the 150, diving in on the under. 713, 714 on the betting board, it is Monmouth. They play us Manan. Manan is a 10.5 to an 11-point underdog. Total on this game, between 139.5 and 140.5. 
I made Van Ann a nine and a half point underdog. Anything of double digits was a take for me. And this is another one of these early games. This is going to be starting at two o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So a little bit matinee basketball out east. And for Monmouth, they have been able to have Xander Rice really elevate this offense. Last year, they were in the bottom 20 nationally. Turns points scored on a per possession basis. Rice, along Jack Collins, are both shooting between 35 and 36 percent from three-point range, combining for about two and a half steals per game. With Xander Rice being your main scorer, 19 points. Four assists per game. Collins, he chips in their six boards. 11.5 points per game. But on the glass is where I do think that Monmouth is going to be having their issues. They're going to have three separate guys to give you north of three rebounds per game. Nikita Kutsinasovsky. I have no idea how to say that last name. I never will. But that said, he's been able to give the team right around 7.5 rebounds per game. The gentleman that comes in from overseas. And been able to get a little bit of offense out of Abdi Bashir Jr. He's come in and he shot 65% from three-point range. Has really been a hit-or-miss guy to say the least, and I think I'm very fair to say that we should see a little bit of regression there, and it is a Manhattan team that has been rough. They're outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but if you look at some of the teams that Manhattan has had to play against, they had to go on the road and play against both Kansas and UConn. It's relatively rough to say the least, and that'll drop your metrics, and for Manhattan, you've got a collective that has three different guys who are giving between 11 and 12 points per contest, as you've been able to have good production out of Shaquille Bender, who's been able to come in and has been able to give the team right around about 11.5 points per game. And then Sebdu Traore has been your top rebounder without about nine boards to go along with those 11.5 points per game. And Brett Rumpel, the transfer from St. Bonaventure, has done a nice job helping flow this offense. It's a Manhattan team that only shoots about 31.5% from three-point range. And this is a Monmouth team that has been ranking in the top 50 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And like I said, they've been able to really prop up their overall offensive numbers. But I do fear that Monmouth might get a little bit loose with the ball as it has been a Manhattan team that has been able to force some turnovers as well. And I do think that for this Monmouth team, they've been a little bit fortunate in terms of their outside shooting with the way that things have been surging thus far this season. They do go up against a Manhattan team that has had their fair share of issues guarding the three-point arc as they're right around 203rd in the country with this regard. But it's not like this Mama team has been some sort of an amazing three-point shooting defense either. They're right there at 193rd and are actually allowing opponents to shoot better from three when they're at home rather than when they are on the road with Manhattan being able to have a little bit more rebounding with them having a nice collective of guys that are able to do a nice job of be able to do all the balls. You've got about three and a half assists per game out of Jaden Winston. I do think that things are coming along for the Jaspers and I think that they can hold in there to the tune of double figures. This is also not too long of a road trip for Manhattan either so I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there and I do think that Monmouth continues to knock down some threes. Both of these teams have had a rough time guarding from the perimeter and for Manhattan Given up 70 plus points at each other last five games. It's a mama team that has given up at least 70 points at each other last five games. So semi total at 143 and a half. Here at a 140 to a 140 and a half. Looking at the over and getting double figures. Could be willing to take those points with Man N. 715, 716 on the bang board. UT Arlington is on the road facing off against Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a 13 and a half point favorite with your total between 144 and 144 and a half. I did set up Texas Tech as a 15-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. This is a trust Grant McCaslin play, as he always does such a good job being able to coach up these defenses. We did see them have a bit of a rough go of it about a week or so ago when they did go up against Butler. That game goes overtime. Things get all sorts of harebrained. But I do think that for Texas Tech, they're going to be able to utilize their size with Warren Washington, giving you seven-plus rebounds per game down low. Having Darion Williams, a transfer from Nevada, be all sorts of versatile. He gives you like nine points. Seven and a half boards, a block. 
He does a really good job of being able to stuff the stat sheet in. This has just been a Texas Tech team that's been vastly different at home rather than on the road. Texas Tech overall is 65th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 22.9 points fewer per one on possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. A little bit of this is a product of the competition that they're playing at home, but this is a UT Arlington team that they're still a little bit rough with their offense. They're not as bad as they were last year where they were outside the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but 15 and a half turnovers per game for them. They do get reinforcements with Philip Russell, the top scorer from Southeast Missouri State, now being eligible. He averaged 18 points per game at Southeast Missouri State a season ago, and in his first game back against Air Force, had 28 points. He also had five turnovers and four fouls, though, as well, and this is not the Air Force defense. This is a team with vastly more size than that. Now, UT Arlington does a relatively solid job down low themselves. Shamar Wilson, along to Juan Gordon. Both of these guys give you about nine boards per contest apiece, and Wilson is currently shooting 40% from three-point range. You've also been able to get 43% three-point shooting out of Fred's Paulus Bagatis. Hopefully I said that correctly. Comes in from Georgia Tech. He's been able to give this team a little bit of something from the outside, but I really do like the way that Joe Toussaint has been able to flow things for Texas Tech. 14.5 points, 4 assists, so less than 2 turnovers per game, and that's a big thing for Texas Tech. They only turn the ball over 11.5 times per contest. That's about 4 turnovers fewer per game than you're able to find out of this UT Arlington bunch. They have been dealing with the injury to Devin Cambridge, but you saw Pop Isaacs being able to give you about 14 points per game. It's a team as a whole. They shoot about 33.5% from 3-point range. Chains McMillan, who comes over from Grand Canyon, has been a 40% 3-point shooter, and Kerwin Walton is not going to continue to shoot north of 60% from 3-point range, but this guy was a really explosive scorer at North Carolina a few seasons ago. He's been able to haul in there 51 points in the last three games. It looks like he is back and in full force, and I do think that that X-Factor is going to be just enough for Texas Tech to be able to get this one through, and Texas Tech has been such a better defense at home rather than on the road, which is why I did set my toe at 137. I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under of Texas Tech. Made them a 15-point favorite, so I want to lay the 13 and a half here. 717, on the main board. Little Rock plays also Jacksonville State, and Jacksonville State does find themselves as an underdog of between two and three points. Total sunny between 140 and 141, and with Jacksonville State, I did set them as an underdog of six and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay this small number with Little Rock. Little Rock certainly has been a team that has had their trials and tribulations over the last few years. I think that's the most fair way of calling it, but for Little Rock, despite the fact that they have been dealing with a few injuries, I do think that this team is good to be able to win from within. They've been dealing with the injury to KK, a.k.a. Kalen Robinson. He just returns to the fold, though. And in his first game back against Murray State, 16 points, 14 rebounds. This is massive because when he's been out there on the floor for Little Rock, and again, he's missed like eight or so games this far this season, averaging 18.5 points, 7 boards, 5 assists. That is absolutely massive. And in that first game back, they knocked off Murray State by double figures. Then you've got Jameer Chaplin, who's able to give you 7.5 boards. His 44% three-point shooting is unsustainable. Prior to this year, was a career less than 25% three-point shooter, but they go up against the Jacksonville State team that is very careless with the ball, turning it over 13.5 times per game. Jacksonville State, to their credit, they are a team that ranks in the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but Kai Kai Tandy is really your main guy in terms of scoring. He's been able to give you 17 points per contest. Not an amazing three-point shooter, but shoots in the low to mid-30s, but past that, what else are you going to be able to get out of this offense? You've got Juwan Purdue. You've also got Marcellus Brigham, who've been able to combine for about 10 or so rebounds per game. Jacksonville State's main form of offense, by the way, actually has been getting a second chance off of some of their missed shots, but Jacksonville State also doesn't do a great job of guarding the three-pointer. When they've been on the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot 34.5% from three-point range, so you've got your issues there, and for Little Rock, while they bring in a lot of transfers that have been able to elevate the team, they still do have a few mainstays 
from a season ago. Someone like Bradley Douglas has been able to give you about three and a half assists per game. You've got DeAntoni Gordon, who's done a nice job hauling in their six boards, 14 points per game. It's a little rock team that's looking to go up tempo. Certainly, they're going to be giving up their points. They're well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But this is also Jacksonville's team that is just really not doing a good job in terms of being able to put the ball in the basket as they have now scored 65 points or fewer in each of their last four games. It's a Little Rock team that now with Robinson back in the fold, they're explosive on offense. They looked much better on defense in that game as well. So I do think that for Little Rock, they do go out there, they get the job done, and they put up a big number against the Jacksonville State team that has been a little bit up and down in terms of their defense as well. They've been a product of playing against some lesser competition as well. And I do think that Little Rock is able to impose their will, and they're going to be able to get some wide-open looks from three-point range. So it is a spot where I did sell Little Rock as a 6.5-point favorite, one to lay the number, and made my total a 146.5. So looking at the over and looking at Little Rock, 719-720 on the betting board. It is Air Force. They play us in Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado is between a 7.5 to an 8.5 point underdog in your total between 134.5 and 135 and with Air Force. I did set them as a favorite of 7 points. Being able to get north of 7, I'm going to be looking at those points with Northern Colorado. With Northern Colorado, it's a very top-heavy team at St. Thomas. That is actually his aim. He has been doing it all for the team. 18 points, 7.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game. He leads the team in every single offensive category. The only thing that he really doesn't lead the team in is blocks and he might be when it's all said and Leans team of blocks because I think he's trailing by like one, but I mean, man, this guy's really been able to make an impact. But you do have some guys that have some pop and some versatility. Riley Abercrombie is chance six foot nine. He is not a guy that is going to Abercrombie and Fitch, but he's going from three point range and shooting 36% from distance. You've got a 40% three point shooter. Also in Langston Reynolds, who's been able to give you a little bit more recently, coming off of an 8.4 rebound performance against Colorado. I like what I'm seeing there. And they go up against an Air Force team that certainly has been tremendous with their defense, but if you look at Air Force's schedule, they've played one of the most charming soft schedules in all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a purpose possession basis, Air Force clocking in 41st in the country, and they do have Righteous Petratus, who is back in the fold. He's been able to do a nice job in his four games back, 18 points, 6.5 boards, 2.5 steals per game, and that is a little bit of an elevator for Air Force. They have never really been a team that has generated steals in the past. Petratus runs for two steals per contest. You get right around about 2.1 steals, couple with that you also get a little bit of outside shooting. Uh, Jeffrey Mills as well. Mills has been able to shoot about 34.5% from three, two and a half assists. So it is a little bit more of a well-rounded Air Force team, but I do fear that they still rely a little bit too much on Evan Taylor, who's been great. 18.5 points, five boards, shoots 40% from three point range, but this is an Air Force team that plays at one of the most slow and grimy paces in all of college basketball, and they do have to match up with the Northern Colorado team that, I mean, they've been solid with their offense. This is a Northern Colorado team that has gone to at least 72 points in three of their last four games, with a lone exception being against Colorado and for Air Force. You still have that fear that this team is going to turn it over a little bit too much. They still are turning the ball over right around about 12 and a half times for contest. It's another Colorado defense that, as per usual, they do have a tough time guarding the three-point arc. They're allowing opponents to shoot darn near 37% from three-point range. I do think that that's been a little bit of a product of bad luck, though, and for Air Force. Not a team that is necessarily physically imposing down low. That should allow Northern Colorado to haul in there some rebounds. It's a tough road trip going to Air Force, but with Northern Colorado being out there in Greeley, they're used to this sort of environment, and I think that that actually plays well for them in this ordeal. So it is a spot where 
where I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northern Colorado. Set them as a seven-point underdog, and I do think that things get cranked up tempo a little bit more, and I do think that Northern Colorado continues their solid offense and their, well, not-so-solid defense. The they've given up at least 70 points in each other last five games. So it's up by total 141. Look it over, and going to be taking the points with Northern Colorado. Sub-21, sub-22 on the betting board. It is Syracuse playing against Niagara, and the Purple Eagles find themselves 19.5-point underdogs in your total on this game. Going to be getting it between 148 and 148 and a half. Set my line at 15. I'm going to be willing to take the points. Maybe I'm just blindly following Greg Paulus and what he's done over the last few years, but I do think that this Niagara defense is going to be able to improve. They're currently 337th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And very strangely with this team, they're actually giving up about 9.5 points fewer per one earned possessions, actually closer to 8.5 points fewer per one earned possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. And they're going up against the series. Syracuse team that isn't quite a bit of transition right now. With Syracuse, in terms of points slot on a per possession basis, they are 78th as they've been trying to move away from the zone defense that we all know and love. And with Syracuse, there's no question about it. Judah Mintz is one of the best scorers in all of college basketball, but he and J.J. Starlin can be a little bit hit or miss. For J.J. Starlin, he's up to shooting about 26.5% from three and some horrible shooting luck to begin the season. So now we're starting to get to a representative number of him. 12.5 points, four boards, three assists per game, and then Mintz throws in there at three and a half assists, two seals, shoots about 41% from three-point range. And then it has been a cast of characters outside of that to be able to step up and help this team out. One night it might be Kadar Copeland. The next night might be like Charlie Bell, Malik Brown the next night. But you really don't have a lot of rebounding with this team. Brown has been able to give you about five rebounds per game. Copeland, five and a half. Justin Taylor throws in there six boards per game as well. But for Niagara, Harlan Obioa has been able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. A true seven-footer that I think that Syracuse is going to have their hands full with. And then the non-D1 transfer in Ahmad Henderson, the second. He has come in and in his first year at Niagara has really been able to elevate this offense. Shooting 36% from three, 15 points per game. With losing Noah Thomason, they did have to look to that primary score and they have found it in him. Niagara overall shooting about 38% from three-point range. And this is a Syracuse team that can be quite suspect in terms of their three-point shooting defense. Right now, they're 46th in the country, but I do think that that's a number that's going to be climbing northward. Like I said, they are still in a little bit of transition in terms of that defense. It feels like they've gotten a little bit lucky with regards to some of those outside shooting numbers. And you've got a pair of guys for Niagara that I think are going to be able to elevate moving forward. Kawan Marble, who comes in from Wyoming. He's only averaging six points to three and a half rebounds per game. A few seasons ago at Wyoming, was an 8.5 point per game score. I think he's going to be able to build off of that. Luke Bumbleau, while he was over at Ball State two seasons ago, was a double-figure score that was shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Right now at 8.5 points per game, but with Bumbleau, it combined 30 points, two blocks, two steals over the last two games. So I think that he's going to be able to build off of that as well. So this is an ordeal where I do think that Niagara is going to be able to build themselves back up. The Niagara defense has been a little bit shaky to say the least begin the season, but I think that they're going to be able to get back up and running. And it is a Syracuse team that they themselves have been able to get to at least 80 points in far of their last five games. Defense has held up at the point of attack, giving up 70 points or fewer in far of their last five games. So in case of something's got to give, I do think that Niagara slows this game down, keeps it very grimy and gross. Set my total at 145, looking at the under, and going to be willing to take the points with Niagara. 723, 724 on the betting board. Kentucky is on the road, facing off against Louisville, and Louisville does find themselves as home underdogs of 13.5 points in your total on this game. They're between 156 half and 157, and I set Louisville as an underdog of 14 points. I don't want to lay anything more than 13.5, but 
going to be willing to lay the 13 and a half. Louisville is just such a poorly coached team. And I know that people like to rag on John Calipari. There is no comparing these two coaches. I mean, none. This is one of the biggest coaching mismatches that you're ever going to find. As for Kentucky, this is a really well-run machine that is only turning the ball over nine and a half times per game. I don't think when it's all said and done, they shoot north of 40% from three like they're doing right now. Reed Shepard shooting 57% from distance. That's just a little bit unsustainable, but they're going up against a Louisville team that's getting cooked on offense. They're shooting less than 31% from three-point range themselves. And then on defense, they have been just absolutely brutal as well. And they've been getting lucky in terms of their opponent's three-point shooting percentage as well. Louisville's actually 32nd in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And if you watch these games, it's not because Louisville's doing a great job of closing out. It's just because teams have been missing shots against them. And Louisville has been playing against some more rough shooting teams like Pepperdine, DePaul, they played against UMBC, teams like this, Brandon Onley Hatfield for Louisville has been able to give you about 9 points, 9 boards per contest, and I do like what Sky Clark is bringing to the table with his 15.5 points per game, but he has been committing north of 3 turnovers per game. It's a very top-heavy Louisville team that doesn't have much of a rotation. Meanwhile, for Kentucky, you do have someone like a Trey Mitchell who's done a nice job giving you about 6 boards, 12.5 points per game. You have Aaron Bradshaw back full as a true 7-footer. He's got good versatility. Again, does Kentucky continue this amazing three-point shooting? Probably not, but they're still a really good shooting team. And for Reed Shepard, for everything that he does offensively, he does generate about three steals per game as well against a team that is coached by someone that probably should not be a college basketball coach right now. It is a Louisville team coming off of a very nice win against Pepperdine, but for Louisville, 68 points for Fear scored throughout their last four games. They couldn't even get to 70 against the Paul. And for Kentucky, they have been a defense that has been laxing, to say the least. 73 points or more surrendered in now five out of their last six games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a shoot em out game, but I just don't think that Louisville does their part. And again, I do think that there's going to be a bit of regression with regards to this Kentucky three-point shooting. So I did set my total 154. I'm going to be going in on the under and with Kentucky. want to lay up to 13 and a half points with them. 725 726 on the betting board. It is Western Michigan. And then throw the face off against Cleveland State. Cleveland State is an 11 point favor with your total between 142.5 and 143.5. Set my line at 12. I'm going to be willing to lay the 11 with Cleveland State. Cleveland State has done a really nice job of being able to generate turnovers over the last few seasons. And they've got a very versatile player in Tristan Iranura. He's been able to lead the way with 17.5 points, 6.5 boards, 2.5 assists per game, going up against a Western Michigan team that they've got someone like a Titus Wright who's able to do a relatively solid job down low, but they've lost a lot of their good rebounders in recent years due to the transfer portal and for Western Michigan. Just been not great for them on the defensive side of things. 281st in the country. There's points a lot on a purpose basis. This is a Cleveland State team that's taken a little bit of a setback with regards to their defense as well. But, I mean, there's just really no comparing the two as Cleveland State. We're around 198th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. And for Western Michigan, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this offense because you've had B. Artis White be in and out of the fold really over the last few seasons. B. Artis White, during that 2020-21 season, had about 14.5 points per game. He has fallen off the face of planet Earth ever since then. Six points or fewer scored in four out of his last five games. So that means that Seth Hubbard, he needs to really fill it up. 14.5 points per game, only guy in the roster. Giving you north of 9.1 points per game with that next best score being Owen Lobsinger, who at 6'9 has actually been able to shoot about 
46% from three. So we've got a little bit of versatility there. But Western Michigan, a team that's outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. They turn it over 13 and a half times through contest. That is not what you want to see out of this team. Now, the good news is they get Javante Brown back in the fold. And Javante Brown, 15 points, 11 rebounds in his debut. Comes in from Texas A&M. He was another one of those two-time transfers that could not play to begin the season. So that does give Western Michigan a little bit of a boost. But you've got a Cleveland State team that is very well tied together. Tate Williams, Drew Lauder. These two guys have been able to combine for about 26 half points per game between the two of them. Shooting 37% from three. And we've really seen Cleveland State elevate their three-point shooting. Last year, they were a bottom 50 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage, making only about 31% of their triples and with largely the same unit. They're shooting about 37.3% from three-point range. They're only turning the ball for about 11 and a half times for contest. Nothing great, nothing terrible there. They've been able to do a great job rebounding by committee as well as they've got pretty much five different guys. They're able to give you at least four and a half rebounds per game. So I do think that they're going to take it to a Western Michigan team that even with reinforcements back, they still have been very rough in terms of their offense. This is still a very slow Western Michigan team, and it's not like Cleveland State has been playing at some sort of a run-it-and-gun-it pace as well. And for Cleveland State, I do think that their defense is going to continue to elevate as this team has given up 70 points or fewer in three other last four games. So, did some total at a 136. I'm going to be looking at the under. And with Cleveland State, we're going to lay up to 11.5 points with them. Some 27, some 28 on the main board. Michigan State plays us as Stony Brook, and Stony Brook is a 22 to a 22 and a half point underdog with your total between 137 and 137 and a half. Did set my line at 22. So now that we're getting to 22 and a half, going to be willing to take a look at the points. I think it's very fair to say that what we saw out of Michigan's outside shooting the first few games of the season, not representative of them. The Spartans going into that game against Baylor, they were shooting below 31% from three. And this team was in the top five nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage. If you want to make the case that they were a bit lucky with the three-point shooting percentage, you are going to get no argument from me. I did think that it was a little bit unsustainable. At the same time, they're much better than that team before. They're currently shooting about 33.2% from three. And I think what it's all said and done, they shoot more around 35 to 36% from three-point range. So we're starting to get a representative number of that. The thing that has me concerned about Michigan State, they're not necessarily great down low. Manny Sissoko has been leading the way with about six rebounds per game. But it's just not an effective defender, in my opinion. Carson Cooper, the six foot eleven big man, has been seeing more minutes, and I do like what I've been able to see out of him. When he actually gets minutes, he does a good job down low. He's been able to give you about a block per contest, so that's been encouraging. And the biggest key for Michigan State, how about getting some help for Ty Walker, who's been Mr. Do It All, twenty points, two and a half assists, shooting about thirty eight and a half percent from three point range. AJ Hogard continues to be efficient with the ball. Michigan State last year very good at being able to take care of it, only about ten point eight turnovers per game. So I do think that they're going to be continuing on with that. And this is a total I did have to set at one thirty five because while Michigan State does a good job protecting the ball, they also do a nice job of just holding it down and making things grimy on the other side as well. And they go up against the Sony Brook team that they haven't had a lot of rhyme or rhythm because they have been dealing with some injuries. Aaron Clark has been missing the last few games, returns in that game against Army, and made a big impact, 21 points. So that is absolutely massive for this team. They are dealing with Tyler Stevenson more being in and out of the fold as well. Did play in that game against Army and had six steals, so he should be good to go as well. So reinforcements have come in for the Stony Brook team. That as a whole, they are shooting 37% from the outside, but... 
I do think that Michigan State going to do a nice job of being able to guard the three-pointer. Get home. They're allowing opponents to shoot 30.1% from three-point range. So a little bit of an encouraging sign there. This is a Sony Brook team that sometimes they can struggle with their perimeter defense. But I mean, they have been objectively very unlucky with their three-point shooting defense. Right now, opponents are shooting 44.4% from distance against them on the road. Last year, Sony Brook with largely a lot of the same characters. Sands Aaron Clark along with Dean Knoll, which actually elevates the backcourt defense. They were allowing opponents to shoot about 33.8% from three-point range. So we should see that reverse course a little bit. Charles Madeau has been able to give you six half rebounds per game. And Michigan State, I do think that they continue to build their way back up. This is a Michigan State team that has done a great job on defense. As for Michigan State, they have now allowed 70 points or fewer in six out of their last seven games ever since that Duke loss. So I do think that they're going to be able to tie down Sony Brook. And for Sony Brook, they're on a four-game win streak where they've scored at least 70 points in every one of them. I do think that there's going to be some coolage there. You've got a pair of teams that aren't necessarily playing up-tempo. Both of these teams outside the top 230 in terms of total possessions per game. So I did set my total at 135. Michigan State has been very stout with their defense at home. So looking at the under, but... Now getting north of 22 points, going to be willing to take those points with Stony Brook to go along with the under 729-730 on the betting board. It is Tennessee, and they're playing against the Tarleton State. Very similar line here as to the Michigan State game. Tennessee between a 22 to a 23-point favorite total on this game, 139.5. I did stop my total at a 139.5, so we're going to be waiting and see where this line is going to be taking us. If we can get to a 139 or less, going to be looking at the over. If we get to a 140 or higher, I'm going to be diving in on the under, but that's how with Charlton State. Well, I set them as more of a 17.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points, and the biggest reason why is that Tarleton State just plays that very unique style where they generate all sorts of turnovers that is going to throw you for a loop. Now, in return, Tarleton State does leave themselves very wide open from three-point range. This is a Tarleton State unit that is about 271st in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and I don't think that's necessarily a fluke. But with that said, this is a Tarleton State team that year in and year out, they find themselves in the top 25 in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They are exactly 25th right now, going up against a Tennessee defense that you know, he's doing a really nice job guarding the three-pointer, things like that. But this is a Tennessee defense that has really taken a step back from a season ago. They're only about 143rd in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And Tennessee, after they were the number one team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're more around 34th this season. And, I mean, it still sounds relatively solid, but to compare it to last year, they're giving up about 6.7 points more per one earned possessions, and a lot of that is because you bring in Dalton Connect, who gives you 18 points per game. He's a good three-point shooter, but to be able to get that offense, you trade it in for a little bit more lax defense. Jordan Ganey, solid three-point shooter. Once again, not the same level of a defender that you typically find with this Tennessee team. Now, the good news for the Volunteers is that they have been able to get a little bit more health out of some of these guys, like as the guy Ziegler is looking a bit more healthy, four and a half assists per game. Santiago Vescovi hasn't necessarily been able to give you a lot of scoring this year, but it's a glass. He's done a nice job giving you about a steal per contest as well, and you've had Jonas Adu, a launch side Jordan James, combined for about 14 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Tarleton, this team does have a liability down low, but you have now been able to get about 7.5 rebounds per game out of Keandre Gaddy, who's been able to do a solid job there. You've got Ja'Cory Smith, who's led the way with about 15 points per game. And skip to my Lou Williams. Should see a rise in his three-point shooting. Last year, shot 41% from the outside, only about 28.2% from three, but still 11-plus points in four of the team's last five games. Tarleton as a whole, only shooting about 29% from three. I do think that this is going to be going northward a little bit. 
They're doing a nice job generating some turnovers. It's not a Tennessee team that gets overly loose with the ball. Tennessee has only been turning the ball over right around about 11 times for contest, but with just Tarleton State throwing at you a style that they are not used to. This is a Tarleton State team that's really held up on defense. 66 points of fear surrendered in far of their last five games. Tennessee, they've now gotten to at least 74 points in far of the last five games. It is a case of something's got to give. Tennessee cranked up their tempo a little bit, so at a 139 or less, I'm going to be looking at the over 140 or higher to the under, but here with Tarleton State catching north of 20 points, going to be looking at those points to go along with a little bit of wait and see mode on the total. Some 31, some 32 on the betting board. It is St. Joe's, and they have to not be average, Joe's. They have to they're facing off against Charleston. Charleston is a one-point underdog to a one-and-a-half-point favorite, so a little bit all over the map there. Relative pick'em game totals between 148 and 149, and I did set Charleston as a two-point favorite. With them being an underdog in some spots, I might be willing to be able to take that outright on the money line if I have to lay a point to a point and a half. Going to be willing to do so as well. Charleston unit that I still remember to start the season. First four games, they shot less than 20% from three. Just a very clear outlier. Now things are back and flowing for this offense. It is a unit that as a whole last year, they shot right around about 33.5% from three, and I think it should actually be better this year. You bring in Frankie Polacelli, who was the top scorer over at Sony Brook last year. He's been able to give you about five boards. Relatively saw three-point shooter at six foot eight. Been able to get really good three-point shooting out of Jordan Crawford as well. He's coming as a freshman. He's shooting 44% from the outside. You've also been able to get some nice flow with C.J. Fulton coming in from the Patriot League. He's been a main facilitator with about four assists per game, and a pass-first guy to be able to get guys like Rain Smith, Ben Burnham into the fold as well. Charleston team that's still only shooting about 30.5% from three-point range. And they're going up against the St. Joe's defense that really has been solid. They're a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They absolutely laid ways to Iona over the weekend. And for St. Joe's, they have been anything but average Joe's in the way that they have been able to guard the three-point arc as they're a top 125 team with that regard. And St. Joe's, they're a top 110 team in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis as well. You've got Eric Reynolds who's done a nice job of helping out Lynn Greer in the backcourt. These two guys combined for about 7.3 assists per game. Reynolds is your main scorer with 17.5 points per game. Greer along with Xavier Brown have both been able to give you a seal and a half per contest. And Greer, Reynolds, and Brown all shooting north of 41% from three. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there. And this is also a Charleston team that I think is going to be able to step up a little bit with their defense. We always talk about the Charleston offense and how they play at warp speed and they've actually slowed down a little bit this year, but I mean, Charleston is actually allowing 10.2 points more per one earned possessions this year rather than a season ago, and I think that that's a direct result of the competition that they're playing. They play against Liberty. They play against Florida Atlantic. They really haven't had a lot of cupcake games. Vermont comes to mind. They had to play against Kent State, so this team really has played a little bit of a murderer's row. You had a St. Joe's team that has really been able to do a nice job of being able to hold it down on defense. This team has given up 70 points or fewer in every one of their games ever since that game that went to overtime against Kentucky, and I believe that that's the only game that they have allowed north of 70 points all season long. Meanwhile, for Charleston, they're really going at warp speed right now, 74 plus points, and now each out of their last five games, they have given up at least 70 points in each out of their last four games, so it is a case of something's got to give. I do think that this is going to be a higher scoring game. Charleston, with their depth, with the way that they just run at you. They are able to speed games up, and I do think that this is going to be a nip-and-tuck game that could come down to late game following as well. So I did semi-total 152. Charleston, with the injuries that they had towards the front half of the season, they weren't able to play as quickly as they are right now. So going to be taking a look at that over. And with Charleston, made them the two-point favorites. They're taking them as either a very slight favorite or outright on the money line as a very slight underdog. 733, 734 is a DK Network write-up pick. Arkansas is going to be playing a Sabling Christian. 
Christian. Abilene Christian, a 14 and a half to a 15 and a half point underdog. Your totals between 148 and a half and 149 right up here is going to be taking the points with Abilene Christian. Set them as a 10 point underdog. Anything north of 10 was a take for me. So you have four plus points of an edge here. And with Abilene Christian, it's much like I was talking about a few games ago with Tarleton State. They throw at you this just very unique, this very hard-to-guard style that I really think is going to take it out of an Arkansas team that has been bad at taking care of the ball. For Arkansas, they're about 130th in the country in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis out of 362 D1 teams. That's respectable, but they really haven't found that main trigger ban. Devo Davis, his 2.6 assists per game leads away. Al Ellis also gives you right around about 2.5 assists per game as well. And having to go up against an Abilene Christian team that they just swarm you in terms of trying to get turnovers. 22nd in the country in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis. I think that that is going to pose for some big issues against an Arkansas team that they just flat out don't see this like psycho zone defense as I like to call it that Abilene Christian is going to play. Now Abilene Christian is going to get plowed on the glass. They are outside the top 300 in terms of rebound rate. You got something like a Trayvon Brazil who's able to give you double figures. He's able to give you about 7 rebounds per game. So that's going to be a little bit of an issue for this team. And Chandler Lawson has actually been really nice down though for Arkansas as well. But we saw Arkansas get much more than they bargained for against Lipscomb. I recognize that that was a game in Little Rock, but I mean, they play that game two, three points. It's been a hit or miss Arkansas team from three-point range. Overall, they're shooting about 34% from three with Raymond Mark, Kelly Battle being able to combine to shoot about 40% from three. They've been able to combine for about 31 points per contest. Nobody else on the team has been able to give you double figures, and it feels like they don't necessarily know what they've got right now. Is Jeremiah Davenport going to be a big-time player for this team? Are they going to be able to get more out of Landon Blocker? You're able to go down the list, and there's a lot of question marks. Meanwhile, Abilene Christian, they go about 9-10 to 10 deep. They know exactly what they've got. Uh, their top seven scores, six of them give you at least a steal per contest. You've also got an Abilene Christian team that does a better job of being able to guard the three-point arc as well. On the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot just 32% from three. This is a Arkansas team that is allowing opponents at home to shoot 35.1% from three. And of uh, your top four scores for Abilene Christian that have all made at least one three this year. Three of them shoot at least 37.5% from distance. All four shoot at least 34.4% from three-point range. Again, rebounding is going to be a little bit of an issue, but having so many guys like Cameron Steele Emmanuel Allen, along with Arian Simmons, that have all been in the fold for quite a while. Coupled with the Chicago State transfer and Ali Abdudiba, who's been very solid with about 14 points per contest. It's become a little bit of a primary score with 14 plus points in four out of the last five games. I do think that Abilene Christian going to be able to lend a scare. Abilene Christian already knocked off Oklahoma State on the road this year. And I do think that they scare the living daylights out of Arkansas. My DK Network right a pick is taking the points with Abilene Christian. I think that this is an up-tempo game. Abilene Christian, top 75 team in terms of possessions per game. Arkansas looking to run a gun in Arkansas 155th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So, set my total 154 looking at the over at my DK Network right a pick. Taking two touchdowns plus with Abilene Christian. 735, 736 on the bank board. It is Marshall and they play OCUNC Wilmington and Wilmington finds themselves as a 1 to a 1.5 point favorite and your total on this game is between 151 and 151.5. I did set Marshall as a underdog of 2.5 points. So, going to be willing to lay the 1 to 1.5 with UNC Wilmington with Wilmington and it's not necessarily the same defense that we saw eight seasons ago, but it's certainly not the same Marshall defense that we saw eight seasons ago as well. Marshall really rose up with their defense a season ago. They were in the top 75 nationally with that regard, down to about 213th thus far this season. And for Wilmington, 238th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That is a little bit of an issue, but 
We've already seen Wilmington pull off that upset against Kentucky. This is a team that's getting a lot out of Terzarian White, who's done a very rock-solid job, giving the team 17-plus points per contest. And for UNC Wilmington, while the defensive effort hasn't been quite as good this year, the three-point shooting, it certainly is enhanced. As the team is shooting 39% from three, White is able to shoot 39% from distance. And out of your top five scores, four of them do shoot at least 37.3% from three-point range. That includes K.J. Jenkins, who comes in from New Mexico. He's been able to give you 10 points on 41% three-point shooting. And for Wilmington, 8.8 turnovers per game. They go up against a Marshall team that down low, they do have Onchile Obiana Killian, who did a really solid job in non-conference play two seasons ago, being able to generate, and I'm not even kidding here, four blocks per contest, but I do think that he's going to meet his match in this game against a UNC Wilmington team that does rank in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis well inside that top 100, and for this Marshall team, they're going to have a relatively tough time in terms of the backcourt. As last season, they had some good three-point shooting. They lose 20-point-per-game scores in Andrew Taylor, Latavion Kinsey, so that's led to Kayshawn Voles, who comes in from Maryland Easter Shore, giving you about 15 points per game to really lead the way. Marshall overall only shooting about 30% from three-point range. 12.8 turnovers per game, not necessarily terrible. And you've been able to get about 10 rebounds per game of Nate Martin to go along with Onchele Killian. But it is a Marshall team that typically they thrive on being able to generate seals. Just 6.7 per contest with the way that Wilmington takes care of the ball and the way that Wilmington has just been able to put the ball in the basket at, well, 80-plus points in their last three games. You do have a Marshall team that has risen up a little bit with their defense. 70 points are fierce surrendered in three out of their last four games. A little bit of that, though, is product of the competition that they played. I do think that Marshall is going to have a tough time with this Wilmington backcourt, and I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a harebrained game. I did set my total at a 152.5, so here at 151 half, looking at the over, Wilmington playing a little bit more up tempo this year. Marshall traditionally top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, so looking over and willing to lay the small number here with Wilmington, set them as a 2.5 point favorite. 737, 738 on the banging board, it is Buffalo, and they're going to be in the red face off against Richmond as the Itchy Bitsy Spiders find themselves as a favorite of 16 and a half to 17 points. Trolls between 143 and a half and 145. It's at Richmond as an 18-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This Buffalo team just really doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities right now. For Buffalo, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are well outside the top 200. Right now, Anquan Bolden Jr., which love his father. His father, Anquan Bolden, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game of football. But when that's one of your starting guards, you know that things are relatively rough there. And for Buffalo, 331st in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. This is the Buffalo teams that we have come to all know and love. They've had to slow down their tempo a little bit because they are dealing with a lot of pieces in the backcourt. Meanwhile, for Richmond, you've got a very versatile player in seven-footer, Neil Quinn, that just does it all. 14 points, six boards, four assists, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. For Richmond team, that is number one in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. 7.8 turnovers per game while scoring north of 76 points per game. They shoot as collective 36.5% from three-point range. Jordan King, he has been the king of scoring for this team. Two and a half assists. 19 half points per game on north of 40% three-point shooting. The rebounding still not great. You could use a little bit more outside of Quinn. Nobody else gives you really north of 4.8 rebounds per game, but it's not like this Buffalo team has been amazing on glass. They do have a nice rebounder in Genevieve Smith, who's been able to give you 9 points, 9 boards, block and half per contest. And I do like the game of Cy Chapman as well. About 16 points, 7 boards. Doesn't necessarily shoot it the way that Smith does from 3. And Smith is actually shooting 45.5% from 3-point range, but 
the injury to Isaiah Adams. Very versatile 6'6 six six gentleman that comes in from Central Florida. Has really led to things going off the rails for this Buffalo team as turning the ball over 17 and a half times per game. Now, the good news is they go up against a Richmond team that isn't necessarily like pickpocketing geniuses or anything like that. They generate about 7.5 steals per game, which isn't bad. It's not amazing. It's somewhere in the middle. But for Richmond, they've been able to do a nice job with regards to their on-ball defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it seems clocks in right around about 113th. But at home, they are giving up about 20.9 points fewer per 100 possessions than they do on the road. And this is just a Buffalo team that has not been able to get out of their own way. This is a Buffalo squad that ever since night number one, when they put up a nice number against Fairleigh Dickinson, against C1 competition, they have not broken the 70-point plateau in any single game. So I do think that Richmond is going to be able to house a Buffalo team that's just not the team that we're used to expecting out of them. Did somebody tell 144? So here at a 144 and a half, 145, looking at the under. And with Richmond, willing to lay up to 17 and a half points with them. Some 39, some 40 on the bank board. So Central Michigan plays also Detroit, and Detroit does find themselves as a 5 to a 6 point underdog. Your totals between 139 and 140. And with Central Michigan, I did set them as a favorite of 8.5 points. So seeing the 5 to 6 out there, I'm going to be one to lay. Now, Detroit, I think, is better than your typical winless team, but man, it's been rough for this team. As for Detroit, they once again are playing at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball, and it's one of those cases where I always say it, just because you play slow doesn't mean you play great defense. 70 points per game given up for one team to the other is not built equally, and for Detroit, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're clocking in 345th in all of college basketball. Not great to say the least, going up against a Central Michigan team that is far from amazing, but I do like the way that Anthony Pritchard has come in from Tulsa and has run the show. 4.7 assists, 13.5 points per game, nearly two steals per contest, not an amazing three-point shooter. Central Michigan can need to clean up the right around 14 turnovers per game. They're not necessarily a super-duper up-tempo team either. And for Central Michigan, they're leaving a lot to be desired defensively as well. They're right on par with Detroit, actually. 342nd in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. But also for this Detroit team, you can't be that poor on defense and not put the ball in the basket. For this Detroit unit, they have gotten past the 70-point plateau once this far this season. That was 72 points against Eastern Michigan. It's not like they've necessarily played against like amazing defenses either. Like Toledo is a terrible defense that they couldn't put up points against them. You do have Jaden Stone. He's been able to give you 19 points. Sealing after contest. Shoots in the mid-30s from three. Last year shot 50% for three. I figured there was going to be a little bit of a fall off there. And Detroit has been a little bit unlucky. They're only shooting about 28.2% from three-point range, but as Detroit is unable to shoot threes, they're also giving it up from distance as well as for Detroit, well outside the top 250 in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well, so that's a big giant issue. You've got a Central Michigan team that has not got a lot of rebounding down low. Brian Taylor is able to give you about six rebounds per game. He's a six foot six, do a little bit of everything sort of guy, and then Eduardo Del Cadilla, I do think is going to be able to do a solid job down low for Detroit. Eight and a half points, six boards, two and a half assists per contest, but it is truly a very top heavy Detroit team. Now, the good news is for Detroit, with having some of these two time transfers be able to become eligible, like Ryan Hurst is now back at the fold. You've been able to get a little bit of something there that should be able to help them out a little bit, but this is still a very disjointed unit that without Antoine Davis there is struggling and struggling badly, and I do think that Anthony Pritchard is the best floor general out there on the floor. So, I did set Central Michigan as an 8.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. Semi total of 138.5. You've got two inefficient defenses, but two teams are really not playing with any pace whatsoever, and they themselves 
Wells have had a tough time putting the ball in the basket and turning it over. So looking at the under and going to be one to lay with Central Michigan. 741-742 on the betting board. It is Oregon State playing us Idaho State. And Idaho State is an underdog of 6.5 to 7.5 points. Your total on this game are between 130 and 131. I said Oregon State as a 7.5 point favorite. Here at a 6.5 to a 7. I'm going to be one to lay the number for Idaho State. They've really slowed things down. They are well outside the top 250 towards the total possessions per game. But once again, it's an Idaho State team that it's not like they're playing some sort of amazing defense or anything like that. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's an Idaho State team that is clocking in right in the neighborhood about 259th in the country. And for Idaho State, this team just has not been able to find answers on offense. You've got Braden Parker. He's a nice little bit of a combo center. He's been able to give you 13 points, 5.5 boards per game. And does shoot 41.5% from three, but Idaho State, with their slow style, still turning it over 13 times per game. They shoot 67.5% at the free throw line, 31.5% from three-point range. And this has been a team that has discovered a little bit of point guard in Malik Arrington. He's been able to give you about 3.5 to 4 assists per contest, but just really don't have a lot of shooting on this team. Been able to get about six half rebounds per game out of Kyrie Huey at six foot nine. And for Oregon State, they don't necessarily have ideal size down low, but I do think that Tyler Bladu, who's been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game, is going to be able to hold his own. And you finally have been able to get a little bit more of something when he's been out there on the floor. And Michael Rataj. Rataj, you missed the first few games of the season, was a former top 250 recruit that has been able to haul in there about six and a half rebounds per game. He has really been able to go into takeover mode recently. A combined 29 boards in the last three contests. So love what I'm seeing there. It's an Oregon State team that is only shooting about 28.5% from three-point range, but they do have the best score in this game. That'd be Jordan Pope. Three assists, 16 points per game. Shoots in the mid to high 30s from three-point range. Dexter Cano has been a little bit in and out of the flow for the team as well as a double-figure scorer, but he should be good to go in this one as well for Oregon State. They have been a rough team to say the least, but they've also been a team that has been dealing with some injuries. You still have some ideal size. You've got a few guys like a Michael Choi along Casey Abike who have been able to give both to give you about a block for contest. Idaho State just doesn't have as much down low. We're starting to see a lot of cracks in the armor of the Idaho State defense. 70 plus points surrender in each of their last four games. And Oregon State has actually played some relatively rock solid defense. 71 points or fewer surrendered in their last four games. And in those last four games, they have played a pair of overtime sessions as well. So Oregon State is actually a much better defensive team than what it's being led on because they played like two games that went to double overtime, a game that went to single overtime. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slog, but I do think that late game falling gives you just enough to be able to go over and for Idaho State and be getting exposed on defense as well. So I did something I told 131.5 here to 130 looking at the over and with Oregon State one to lay up to 7 points with them. 743, 744 on the betting board. Pepperdine is going to be playing us William and Mary. You don't just get William. You don't just get Mary, but you get both. And you also get 9.5 to 8.5 points if you back them against Pepperdine with a total between 148.5 and 149.5. I need more points to be able to back the tag team. I'm only getting two guys here, so I need at least double figures. I set my line at a 11 half, going to be one to lay it. Pepperdine coming off of a very unsavory loss where they got absolutely pounded by Louisville. And once again, this begs the question, where's Javon Porter? And the answer is he's back. 12 minutes in the game against Louisville. He had six points, four rebounds. He has finally been seen. So that's big because he was one of their top players a season ago. And I don't think that he's going to be back to his full allotment of minutes, but I do think that he plays a little bit more than 12 minutes in this one. Big key for Pepperdine, just getting a little bit more efficient play out of Ethan Anderson. Ethan Anderson, he had like four plus assists per game when he was a true freshman over at USC. He was a really nice guard for them just ever since then. He has fallen off the map, but you've had Houston Mallet along with Michael Ajay 
Both gave you 79 points per game, but Shea comes in from the 91 level out there in the state of Washington and has really been an elevator, shooting 53% from three, nine and a half rebounds per game. And when it comes to the flip side for William & Mary, you just don't have anyone that's able to match up down low. Noah Collier has been in and out of the fold all season long and still with injuries really towards the back half of last year into this year. Been able to get some good production out of the two Dorseys. You've got Gabe Dorsey along Caleb Dorsey. Caleb is your main rebounder with giving you about, about six boards per contest. Glenn Dorsey has been your top scorer. 15.5 points on 44.5% three-point shooting. The other Dorsey shoots about 37% from distance. So these guys have been rock solid. But you take a look at this William & Mary team, and among their top nine scorers, you've got four of them that have missed at least three games thus far this season. So that's a big, giant issue when he's been out there. Jack Karzinski has been able to give you about five rebounds per game, but he's probably going to be out of the fold once again. So that hurts the William & Mary rebounding all the more. This is a William & Mary team that does shoot 35% from three. They've been able to do a relatively respectable job there, but this William & Mary team is just getting blowtorched on defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 350th in all of college basketball. And on the road, they're giving up 120.5 points per 100 possessions. We've got a Pepperdine team that has slowed down a little bit more this year. They're more of a mid-tempo team, but I do think that they're going to take it to a William & Mary defense that is not great, to say the least. But with Pepperdine getting back Porter, I think that that's going to be able to help them out a little bit, and that'll be just enough for them to be able to push this total over some line at a 149.5. So here at 148.5, looking at the overhead, one to lay up to double figures with Pepperdine, set them as an 11-point favorite. 745, 746 on the main board. North Carolina A&T, it's a red face-off against Coast Carolina. The Chanticleers of Coast Carolina are 10 to 10.5 point favorites, and Totals anywhere between 155.5 to 156.5 with A&T. I did set them as an underdog of 12.5 points. You're going to 10 to a 10.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Once again this year, you've got a Coastal Carolina bunch has not been good on defense, but that said, you've got a North Carolina A&T team that they're even worse on defense, and they've got one score. Landon Glasper has been able to do a really nice job for this A&T team of being able to chip in their 19 points per game, but that's about the only redeeming quality that you've got with this A&T team as as of right now, you've got nobody that's giving you an earth of 4.6 rebounds per game. That'd be Evan Joyner that's been able to do that. Once again, with Coast Carolina, they played most of their games at home, by the way. They played one Drew Rowe game, and yet they're 323rd in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Less than terrific, but for North Carolina A&T, and keep in mind, there's 362 Division I teams. They are 358th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. That's not good. That's not good at all, and that injury to insult. They've got that bad defense while shooting 27.8% from three, 38.7% from the floor. The one thing that they've done is that they've taken care of the ball. Only about 10 and a half turnovers per game, but with Janika Ojiako being able to give you 10 rebounds per game for the George Mason transfer with having some nice scoring in the backcourt for this team as well. As you've got Kevin Easley who comes in from Duquesne, Jacob Meyer along with Kylan Blackman. All these guys have been able to give you between about 10 to 13 half points per game between the three of these gentlemen. You've been able to get about 36 and a half points per contest. That should be able to elevate the team, especially with Meyer shooting 40 and a half percent from three point range. Coast Carolina does get a little bit loose with the ball with about 13 and a half turnovers per game, but for AT, they're only forcing about six steals per game. To the credit of North Carolina AT, defense has been a little bit better. They've given up fewer than 70 points in two other last three games. Those games came against NC Central and Jackson State, though, and you got a Coastal Carolina team that has been able to light it up on offense. 80 plus points in each other last four games against teams at the Division I level. They have given up at least 84 points in each other the last three, though, as well. So, Good old case of something's got to give. 
You've got an A&T team that is certainly giving it up on defense. I think that both of these defenses uh, have been a shade a bit unlucky in North Carolina A&T because they are so top-heavy. They're unable to go super-duper up-tempo, so set my total at 152.5, diving in on the under, but with the shot to clear, set them as a 12.5-point favorite, so also willing to lay the number. 747-748 on the bank board. Colorado plays us to Utah Tech. Utah Tech finds themselves as an underdog of 22.5 to 23 points. Total is between 147.5 to 148.5, and with Utah Tech, I did set them as an underdog of 23 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the 22.5 here with Colorado. Colorado's really been able to elevate on their defense as You've got so many guys that are able to do a nice job of being able to hit the glass in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. For Colorado, 56th in the country, and they're giving up about 8.3 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road. As we know with Colorado, they've always got one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. As Eddie Lampkin has been able to give you about 7 boards per contest, but that main duo of KJ Simpson along Tristan De Silva being able to haul in there, it combined 35.5 points, 9.5 boards, 7.5 assists per game with both shooting north of 40% from 3 has been explosive, and for Colorado. They do turn the ball over about 14 times per game, and they do need to work on the turnovers a little bit. The 14 turnovers per game, that is a little bit unsightly, and I do think that there's going to be a regression in terms of their three-point shooting being at about 39.8% from distance, but this is a Utah Tech team that's getting all sorts of cooked. You've got a pair of teams that they play a brisk tempo. Colorado, about 112th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Utah Tech is in the top 75 with that regard. And for Utah Tech, Tanner Christensen has been solid. 12.5 points, 7 boards per contest, shooting in the mid-30s from 3. And for Utah Tech, this team is always based around their 3-point shooting. As they're shooting, once again, about 36% from 3-point range. They've been dealing with David Elliott being in and out of the fold. But you still have quite a few guys like a... Noah Gonzalez, who have been able to give you about 10 plus points per contest, so that has been able to be a nice little helper for the team, but with Utah Tech, typically teams get a little bit unlucky with regards to their outside shooting defense. The team ever since they joined the D1 level, just all been all sorts of rough. They're allowing opponents to shoot 34.5% from the outside in road games as far this season, so I do think that Colorado State is going to be able to knock down quite a few of those threes. And with not having a lot of size down low to go up against a Colorado team, that they've got so many guys, even like Giovanni Hadley, they're able to do a relatively solid job down low. You've got some nice depth with this Colorado team, despite the fact that you do have a few guys are in and out of the full one. Their star freshman and Cody Williams has been missing the last few games. I still think that despite that, Colorado going to be able to win this game quite comfortably. I did set them as a 23-point favorite, so you're in a 22.5 on the lay the number. And did set my total 151 with the way that Utah Tech has been getting quite destroyed on defense and with the way that Colorado is shooting it from three-point range. So we're going to have the over and one to lay with Colorado. 749, 750 on the betting board. Iowa State plays us Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois, a underdog of 30 to 31 points. Your total between 138 and 138 and a half. Set my line at a 30 and a half. This opened up at a 27.5 and even at this number, I would still rather lay 30 rather than take 31. Iowa State has been in seek and destroy mode when they have been a favorite of 25 plus points. I believe that they have covered every one of these games thus far this season. I will say this, though, about Eastern Illinois. The last time they found themselves as north of a 30-point underdog, they went on the road against Kansas, and they had that as a one-possession game with about four minutes remaining. So if there is a team that's able to cover this sort of a number, it is Eastern Illinois. And I don't hate what I've seen out of Eastern Illinois recently. They are in the bottom 250 and like darn near every metric, but 
Mikhail Shelton has been able to give you about 11.5 points per game. You got an Eastern Illinois team that's shooting 33% from three. They turn the ball over 11 times for contest. You've got Cooper Jacoby giving you a little bit over eight rebounds per game. There are some pieces here to build around for Eastern Illinois. But other than Jacoby, nobody else gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. It is a bunch that has been able to get quite a bit more out of Tiger Booker as well. He's been able to give you about three steals per contest. He missed a few games earlier on in the season, and he has really been able to elevate this Eastern Illinois team. And Eastern Illinois team has now gone to at least 70 points in every one of their games ever since that 71 to 63 loss against Kansas. That would be four in total. And the defense has held up 73 points for free surrender in each other last five games. Meanwhile, for Iowa State, the team just continues to be absolutely incredible on both sides of the ball. And we always know and love this defense in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Iowa State, number two in all of college basketball. They're also, though, a top 25 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. 90 plus points in each other last four games. For Iowa State, you've had a team on Lipsby really go from being a defensive stopper and a facilitator to a guy that's able to take over the offense. He and Kishan Gilbert combined for 31.2 points per contest. Lipsby, six boards, six assists, three and a half steals per game on 42.5% three-point shooting. Gilbert, four and a half boards, four and a half assists, two steals, more of a 31% three-point shooter. But Milan Milosivlovic has been able to shoot 45.5% from three-point range. You've got an Iowa State team that's doing a great job on the glass. One of the top teams in all of college basketball being able to take the ball away for Eastern Illinois. They have been experiencing some prosperity recently, but that prosperity, I think, is going to go to die at Houghton Coliseum. As of right now, between 30 and 31, I would rather lay the 30. I'm going to continue to wait and see because if this continues to hike up, that would be a take for me on Eastern Illinois, but at current numbers, would still be willing to lay the 30 with Iowa State. And I did set my total at 134.5 Eastern Illinois. Not necessarily a super-duper up-tempo team. And I do think we're going to see a little bit of regression with this Iowa State offense. So diving in on the under and going to be willing to lay it with Iowa State. 751, 752 on the betting board. Northern Iowa is the red face off against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois does find themselves as an underdog of 2-2.5 points. So those between 155 and 155.5. I did set Northern Iowa as a two-point favorite. So being able to get 2.5 plus here with Northern Illinois, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Northern Iowa defense. I mean, under Ben Jacobson many years ago, this was one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Boy, oh boy, where is that effort gone in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for Northern Iowa. 288th in all of college basketball. Not that Northern Illinois is batting down the hatches themselves. They're 324th in this category, but man, I remember when the Panthers had some pride. I have no idea what happened. It has not resulted in more wins for the team. I have no idea why they abandoned it, but they did, and for Northern Iowa, it's going to be all about trying to be able to control things on the glass with Tate Anderson, who's been able to give this team right around about six and a half rebounds per game. We've got a lazy big man in Jacob Hudson, who's been able to give you nine points, four boards per contest. You just expect him to hit the glass a little bit better, and this is a Northern Iowa team that's able to light it up. They're shooting about 37% from three-point range, and for Bowen Bourne, he got off to a really rough start to the season. I have no idea if he was injured or what was happening, but double figures for him in each of the last five games, so that's highly impactful, and they're going up against a Northern Illinois team that has some guys that are able to light it up themselves. David Coit has been able to do a really nice job with about 17.5 points per game, chipping in their four assists. It's a Northern Illinois team that overall only shoots about 33% from three-point range, but Xavier Amos, Zarek Nutter, both are shooting 45.5% from distance. These two guys have been able to do a nice job combining for just under 12 rebounds per game. Nutter is able to give you 16 points, 2.5 assists per game. Amos has been able to throw in their 13 points per game as well. And then you've got Philman Gilbert, who comes in from DePaul, and he's been able to make a nice impact for the team. Was a part-time starter the last two seasons over at DePaul, a career about 32% three-point shooter as a 6'8 combo player 
that's able to extend. And on top of that, now you've got a little bit of rebounding for this team as you bring in the gentleman from Switzerland, Yannick Conan Niederhauser. He's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Now, if you do have a little bit of trepidation with Northern Illinois, last time they played against a Division One team was on the 9th of December, so it has been a while there. But with Niederhauser being able to give you a little bit more blocking down low, as he's been able to provide 11 blocks over the team's last five games, I do think that that's going to be a nice elixir to what Northern Iowa is able to do down low. It's a Northern Iowa defense that has been all over the place. They've given up north of 80 points in three out of their last five games. It's a Northern Illinois team that has been far from terrific in terms of their defense and on offense against Division One competition, 71 points or fewer in each other the last three games. So I do think that they're going to be able to light up a Northern Iowa team that just has not been able to defend this to save their lives. I did something I told them this spot at a 156. So being able to get about 155, 155 and a half, going to be looking at the over and anything north of two, single lot of two and a half is going to be taking the points with Northern Illinois. 753, 754 on the betting board. Houston plays us to Texas State. Texas two-step with Texas State to a 27 to a 28 point underdog line. Total on this game is anywhere between 25 and a half and 26. This is the sort of game that Houston just absolutely dominates. They have covered north of 65% of spreads as north of a 20-point favorite over the last decade, and I'm going to trust in them. Once again, I set this line at 30. Going to be one to lay with the Houston team as number one in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, the same year in and year out. It's in the top 10 in rebound rate, opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and they've got Jamal Shedd, one of the most smart players in all of college basketball. Doesn't give you a ton of scoring with just about 9.5 points per game, but 6.4 assists. Two and a half steals per game. He gets the ball into the likes of LJ Cryer and Emmanuel Sharp. Sharp shooting 37% from three with 13 and a half points per game. And Cryer, 17 and a half points per game, shooting 40% from three as the team's designated scorer. Going up against a Texas State unit that they're always a very slow and controlled team, and they very much rely upon defense to be able to get the job done. And they have to do so even more this year because Mason Harrell last year was their do-it-all player on offense. He is out of the fold. He graduated. And for Texas State, just not the defensive effort that you'd love to see out of them. 140th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 14 more points per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. They've had Jordan Mason be in and out of the fold. And for Mason, ever since he has been back for the team, he's been able to average about 17.5 points per game. That has given the team a nice little shot in the arm for a Texas State team that has currently turned the ball over about 13 times for contest. They shoot 64.5% at the free throw line. And they were very much relying upon Tyrell Morgan to do a solid job down low, giving the team some rebounds. He played in two games and has been out ever since then. So that leaves you with a lot of Joshua Garrow along Christian Turner to man things down low. They've been able to give you combined about 11 rebounds per game. Good news for this Texas State team is that it looks like Colton Benson should be back for the long haul. He was over at Army last year where he gave the team 11.5 points per game. And that did cause me to bump this team up just a little bit. But that said, with this Texas State unit, it has been rough for them to say the least. They have been able to get to at least 70 points before their last five games. But their numbers are so badly warped because two of their last three games came against non-Division One teams. Meanwhile, you've got a Houston team that they just continue to search and destroy these teams. They've given up 66 points or fewer in every one of their games as far this season. They do just enough on offense to be able to cover these big lines. They take care of the ball. They turn you over. I do think that this is going to be a, just another Houston dismantling. So I did set them as a 30-point favorite. And I do believe that Texas State 
little bit better with their offenses here. So I did set my total at a 130. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Houston. 755, 756 on the banking board. It is Minnesota, and they play out to Ball State. Ball State finds themselves as an underdog of 12 to 12 and a half points. Your total sitting between 141 and a half and 142 and a half. And I did set my line at 14 and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that I've had to warm up on quite a bit. I had low expectations for them coming into the season, but with this Minnesota team. The big key for them, having their main point guard in Elijah Hawkins not turn the ball over. Because last year, it's four turnovers per game while he was over at Howard. That led off college basketball. And it doesn't sound amazing, but he sounded about 2.9 turnovers per game. He's been much more efficient recently with having three turnovers or fewer in four other teams' last five games. And he has been absolutely piling up the assists. 39 assists to seven turnovers in the team's last three games. And they go up against a Ball State unit that doesn't necessarily do an amazing job of being forced turnovers. Ball State outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And while this Minnesota team isn't like some sort of an amazing defense or anything like that, it certainly does trump a Ball State team that is allowing opponents to shoot 38.8% from three-point range when they're on the road. Meanwhile, got a Minnesota team that has covered all but one of their spreads this far this season as well. So a lot of people have been taking it back by the seam. With Ball State, they're going to be relying upon Mikey Pearson at 6'7 size. He's able to give you about five boards. He's able to let it fly in the mid to high 30s from three-point range to be able to keep this team lively, but they just can't match up with Dawson Garcia, who's able to give you 18 points, seven and a half boards, shoots it well from three-point range. Now, for Ball State, Bashir Jihad has been very good at 6'9 of providing versatility, shooting in the mid 30s from three, 18 and a half points, a block, a steal, seven and a half rebounds per game, but Ball State just doesn't necessarily have the depth to be able to match up with Minnesota because you've also been able to bring in the loyal Maramont transfer and Jalen Andrews who's been able to give you about 15 and a half points per contest so he's been a nice cog for the SEMA when he's out there Davion Bailey has also been able to do a good job with about 10 and a half points per contest as well but you've only got right around about a six man rotation when he is fully healthy Meanwhile, for Minnesota, you've got someone like a Joseph Ola Joseph, who's been able to give you about 10.5 points. He's currently shooting 64.5% from three-point range game. Christie is shooting north of 40% from the outside. Gets some added rebounding out of Farrell pain as well. So I do think that it is going to be the pain train that is going to be rolling through, and it is going to be destroying this Ball C team. I did set my line at a 14.5. Going to be willing to lay the number in. With Minnesota, they're a rather slow and controlled team going up against the Ball State bunch. And I do think that they're going to have a tough time scoring on this defense. So it did some, I told, 140 and a half in and on the under. And willing to lay up to 14 with Minnesota. 757, 758 on the main board. Illinois State plays us to Southeast Missouri State. SEMO, Southeast Missouri State is a 13 half to a 14 point underdog. Tells between 138 and 139. I made this line 10 and a half, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's an Illinois State squad that has really been looking for that one go-to guy. They're a really nice collective. You've got someone like a Quincy Pondexter who's been able to do a solid job, giving you about 11 points per contest. Dalton Banks has been able to do some solid work, giving you about three assists per game as well. So you've been able to have some nice pieces, but you're really looking for that one guy to be able to bring it all together. And Brandon Lee, the seven-footer that comes in from Illinois, so only been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. So I think that that's going to help out a Southeast Missouri State team that has been looking for rebounding with Kobe Clark once again being hurt. He was injured towards back half of last season. He's hurt once again this year, and that's big for a Southeast Missouri State team that without him, they've only got one guy that's really giving you north of four rebounds per game, David Idata, who comes over from the Netherlands. He's been able to give you about four and a half rebounds per game, but it is the Southeast Missouri State team that's starting to find 
game, a little bit more three-point shooting as Adam Larson has been able to shoot north of 40% from three. Rob Martin, he's now shooting about 43% from the outside as Martin comes in from Indiana State where he was a little bit of an afterthought and for Southeast Missouri State, no question about it, it is a defense that is very much a work in progress, but you know, it was against lesser competition. They've now given up 60 points or fewer in three of their last four games. I do think that that was actually a positive for them. They go up against an Illinois State team that's really been having a forte on defense as well, giving up 65 points or fewer in four of their last five games now. For both of these teams, I think that it was a direct result of playing against lesser competition, and I do think that in terms of the offense as well, they both should be able to kick it up just a little bit more because there should be a lot of second chances. Neither of these teams necessarily dominant on the glass. I was expecting a little bit more this year out of Kendall Lewis for Illinois State, who has been able to give you about eight points in the neighborhood, about four and a half rebounds per game. So you'd like to see a little bit more there. And for Illinois State, this team is about 155th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. You do have a Southeast Missouri State team that, even though they've been able to rise up a little bit more with their defense, getting cooked from the outside, 318th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So I do think that both of these teams hit some outside shots with Southeast Missouri State finding some good outside shooting. I think that that's going to be able to keep them snug in this game. So I did set my line at a 10.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Southeast Missouri State and did set my total at a 140.5. So you're at a 138, 139. Looking over and looking at the points with SEMO. 759, 760 on the banking board. It is Bradley and they play us to SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville finds themselves as 11-point underdog. So those between 135 and 136. And with Edwardsville, I did set them as an underdog of 12 points. You're at 11. I'm going to be willing to lay with Bradley. It's been a Bradley team that hasn't had a great straight up record over at 6-5, and five, but still, I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up. They've played against a gauntlet of a competition in this five-game losing streak. They've had to play against Indiana State. They play against Duquesne, Cleveland State, Akron. A lot of your top mid-majors in all of college basketball. Malevi Leons is still really hard to guard. Big man that's able to give you 14.5 points, 7.5 boards at 619. It's able to pop some threes. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Connor Hickman, who's been a 39% three-point cheer. He's been out ever since that Indiana State loss about three or four games ago. So they've been in a little bit of transition there, but they do have plenty of guys that are able to give you some production from the outside, like your Christian Davis, who's been able to shoot in that neighborhood about 39.5% from three-point range, nine points, five rebounds per game. And ever since the absence of Hickman, he's been able to give you about 8.5 points per contest. He's been a little bit more involved in the offense. You've been able to get quite a bit from the outside as well in terms of 48% three-point shooting of Omar Atlison as well. He's been a guy that's been able to step up recently as well. He's been able to log about 7 to 8 points per game ever since we have been seeing Hickman be out of the fold. And for Edwardsville, the big key for this team is being able to continue to take care of the ball and just get back to that defense that they had a season ago. For Edwardsville, they're only turning the ball over about 10 times for contest. The offense not necessarily shooting it well from three-point range, but last year, the reason why Edwardsville had so much success is that in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they were a top 125 team in the country. They're giving up 10.1 points more per 100 possessions this year than a season ago. You've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright. Lamar has been able to give you about 11 points, 1.3 blocks per contest on 46% three-point shooting. Shamar is your top scorer with 16 points, shooting about 35.5% from three, but right now, other than DeBarco Minor, who really doesn't have a lot of size at only about six feet tall, don't have anyone on the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. They've done a nice job being able to facilitate by committee, and for Edwardsville, the offense has been halfway decent, even though they did lose a few pieces from a season ago, but with their defense just taking so many steps back, I do think that it's going to be a little bit tough against a Bradley team that they themselves have been having a little bit of a tough time with their defense last year. We're one of the top defenses in all of college basketball. They're clocking in more around 160th 
with with that regard this season. But I do think that this is a Bradley team that has the size VL matchup with those Wright brothers. On top of that, I do think that it's an Edwardsville team that's starting to get a little bit more sloppy with the ball. And when they're on the road, they're just not the same offense as they are at home, as they are scoring about 26 half points fewer for 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. Two lower tempo teams. I think that this is going to be a low scoring game. So it did semi total at a 134 going under. And with Bradley, going to be willing to lay up to 11 half points with them, set them as a 12 point favorite. 761, 762 on the betting board. It is Ido, and they hit third face off against EC Riverside. And Riverside is a favorite of six points. Your totals between 132 and a half and 134 and a half. And with Riverside, I did set them as a seven half point favorite. Going to be willing to lay this number. You've got two teams that are really not looking to play at an aggressive pace. As I know, in terms of total possessions per game, they're hovering right around about 275th in the country. And you see Riverside, after they sped things up a little bit last year, when they had Zion pulling in the fold, man, this team has really been in a slowdown mode this year as they're right around about 325th in the country. But for UC Riverside, it does feel like the defense is coming back to the team after a season ago. It was a little bit lackadaisical. They've been searching for some answers out there in the backcourt, but it does feel like they've been able to get a good one with having Isaiah Moses feeling like Moses giving you 13 points, four and a half assists, while shooting 39% from three-point range. So he's been able to crank it up quite a bit on that front. And you've got a Nido team that, as a whole, they're only shooting about 32.5% from three-point range. You've got Quinn Denker along with D'Angelo Minnis, who've been able to combine for about 23 points per game between the two of them, about six assists to about three and a half turnovers per game. But what has been hurting this team is Tyler Miras, who is supposed to be a guy that was going to take some strides forward this year. He has just not been out there in the fold for this team as he's only played in two games thus far this season. Taron Frank, the transfer from Vanderbilt along with TCU, has only been able to give you about four boards per contest. And you've only got one guy on the roster as a result. That gives you north of four rebounds for him. Julian Mims. Mims has been able to do a solid job hauling in there some boards, about a block and a half per contest. But he needs a little bit more help down low against a Riverside team that they themselves don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. Kyle Owens, he's six foot eight combo player that comes in from Montana. He's been able to give you about seven and a half points per contest, but does shoot 42.5% from three-point range. And then when it comes to Brandon Grisketti, who comes over from Incarnate Word, he provides about six foot eleven size. He provides a little bit of versatility as well for a Riverside team that has done a nice job of being able to take care of the ball. They're only turning the ball over about 9.8 times per game, and for Ido, they do a solid job in terms of being able to hit the glass, but where this team is always weak, three-point shooting defense, 317th in all of college basketball, which has actually improved from a season ago, very sadly, but I do think that for this UC Riverside team, they are going to be able to light them up from the outside. It's an Ido team that really doesn't force any ball pressure whatsoever, and that should allow UC Riverside to flow very freely. Both of these teams are quite slow, but Ido, with their very bad lack of efficiency on defense while outside the top 250, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. I think that they're going to be had, and with Ido, maybe that's a pretty dramatic home and road splits as well. So I did set my total at 135 and a half. I will be looking at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay with Riverside, set them as a seven and a half point favorite. 763, 764 on the betting board. This is from the T-Mobile Center, so a neutral court environment for Wichita State and Kansas State. Kansas State does find themselves as a favorite of between five and five and a half points. Totals between 145 and a half and 146 and a half, and I did set my total at 146 and a half. If you're at a 145 and a half, going to be taking a look at the over. Fully recognize that we saw Kansas State put up 12 points in the second half against Nebraska. That was a little bit less than savory. You don't want to be too much of a prisoner of one half of basketball because we have seen Arthur Kaluma do some really nice things as far this season for this Kansas State team. But 
But that said, you do have to downgrade them a little bit after that. And for Wichita State, I do think that they're really starting to ascend. I like what I've been seeing for this team overall in terms of them being able to have a lot of guys that are able to hit the glass. I did set my line at four and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points and to illustrate this point of Wichita State, you've got three separate guys giving you at least 6.9 rebounds per game. I believe that they're the only team in all of college basketball that's able to say that. Kenny Poto, Quinn Ballard, Dalen, original, they're all doing a really solid job of being able to hit the glass. Now for Wichita State, they don't have any of these guys with really a lot of stretchability as Kobe Rogers has had to be the main scorer for the team. 17 points, 4 boards, shooting 42.5% from 3-point range for a Wichita State team that does a nice job of not turning the ball over. Only about 11 turnovers per game. Meanwhile, you've got a Kansas State team that without Nequan Tomlin, you can tell that this team has been a little bit vulnerable down low. You do have Arthur Kaluma, David and Gesson, who have been able to combine for about 16.5 rebounds per game, but they just don't do as great of a job in terms of their interior slash post defense and for Kansas State. That has led to them getting bombed from the outside as well. Kansas State is 243rd in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So that's been a little bit ghastly. You've had Tyler Perry, Cam Carter do a really nice job as a one-two punch in the backcourt, being able to supply about 32.5 points per contest. Again, that's a big reason why I do think what we did see a few days ago against Nebraska is a little bit of an outlier, even with Kansas State only shooting about 30.5% from three. And I do think that this is going to be going northward. Tyler Perry this year, shooting 32% from three. Shot much better at North Texas a season ago. I don't know if he's going to be able to match like 40% from three-point range, but I think that he's a little bit better than what he's shown through here. But it is a Kansas State team that has been quite sloppy with regards to their defense, 124th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Wichita State certainly has been a team looking for a little bit of an identity under Paul Mills, but they seem to be cranking up the tempo a little bit. And what I like about Wichita State is that their defense actually gets better when they're away from home. For Wichita State, they're giving up about 7.3 points per per one hour possessions on the road rather than at home. It's a Kansas State team that with everything that they've been going through, they've been a little bit more top-heavy thus far this season. And with Wichita State having Harnell Beverly giving you about four assists per contest, doing a nice job dishing out there. I do think that you've got yourself a good circumstance here for Wichita State to be able to hold in this game. I did set my total at a 146.5, so here at a 145.5, going to be looking at the over as both of these teams have been playing a little bit more up-tempo. And with Wichita State, won't take five plus with them. 765, 766 on the betting board. Stanford is on the road facing off against San Diego State. The Aztecs are an 8 to an 8.5 point favorite with your total 144.5 to 145. I did semi total at a 141.5. I'm looking at the under. While San Diego State overall this year has been a mid tempo team, it feels like San Diego State is doing exactly what they did last year. Like their first. I would say 8 to 10 games of the season. They were a top 100 team in terms of total possessions green. San Diego State is once again realizing that maybe we shouldn't have sped this thing up and they have slowed it down. In their last three games, they are playing in terms of possessions per game more than 7 possessions fewer than they did in their first 8 or so games of the season. So we have seen a big giant slowdown coming for them and I do think that they're once again going to get back to that team that plays tough tenacious defense against a Sanford team that's like your buddy at the bar. They can't close. They've got one of the worst coaches at the power conference level and Jared has who should have been canned years ago. I will continue to say that. Why he's still on the sidelines, I have no idea. And it's a Sanford team that they've got good size. Maximine Raynaud, 14 and a half points per game. And he's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. The other is Brandon Angel who gives you about 4.6 boards per contest. I know that he was dealing with a little bit of an injury, so we shall see if he's able to build himself back up. But Angel has been all sorts of inconsistent with Raynaud. He's got a little bit of versatility, but I mean, he 
probably shouldn't be popping threes as he's shooting them at about a 15.4% clip. Jared Bynum has been very efficient for this offense. Love what he's bringing to the table with about 7 assists and 2.2 turnovers per contest, but bad decision-making in general has been really the bane of Sanford's existence, and it's been a team that's been just all over the place in terms of their defense as well. They've been playing a little bit better recently in regulation. have given up 73 points or fewer in now four out of the last five games, but you've got a San Diego State team that's starting to bear down with their defense as well. 62 points or fewer surrendered in four of their last five games. Granted, a lot of it was against a lesser competition, but you've got Jaden Ledee, who's been able to go into takeover mode, 10 boards, 22 points per game, shooting 42.5% from three, but the big question is, Darion Trammell, where is he? Seven points, two and a half assists per game after he was such an instrumental part of this team, being able to go to the national title game a season ago. I do think that he needs to be a little bit more involved in the offense. You've got Lamont Butler with that big shot to be able to send them to the title game. He's been your main facilitator, three and a half assists for our San Diego State team has kept it clean. 11.2 turnovers per game, even though they do have a nice primary score in Ladee. You can tell that this is a team that they're a little bit hit or miss with regards to their offense in terms of points scored on a per possession basis for San Diego State. They are clocking in right in the neighborhood about 94th, and they're actually scoring fewer points per possession at home rather than on the road, and that's just what you expect at the VAO Center. It's very hard to score there. It is a Sanford team that they've actually been quite efficient with their offense, and they've really cranked things up. They're a top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, but for Sanford, they see an almighty fall-off with regards to their scoring when they're on the road. On the road, they are scoring about 26 points fewer per one hour possession than when they are at home. I think that the San Diego State team locks down. I think that they're getting back to their identity. That's been so good for so many years of playing tough tenacious defense. Set my total 141 half. Diving in on the under with San Diego State. Set them as a 9.5 point favorite. So going to be one to lay the 8 day 8.5 to go along with that under. 767-768 on the main board. It is Washington. They play us to Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is a 14.5 point underdog with your total between 158 and 159. And with Eastern Washington, set them as an 18 point underdog. I'm going to be one to lay the number here with Washington. With Washington, I had concerns for them in the beginning part of the season when they lost to Nevada. Turns out Nevada is just really singing good, and this is a Washington team as doing a nice job locking it down down low. You've got Fronty Kepadog, who's been able to log about eight and a half points, six boards, blocking half per contest. Overall, it is a Washington team that they shoot in the mid 30s from three. And what you want to see is Xavier Wheeler be a little bit more efficient with the ball, the 3.8 turnovers per game. It is a little bit concerning, and it is a bit concerning that Washington has been dealing with their injuries as Nate Calmezzi just returned to the fold in that game against Seattle was a top flight score out there in the Southland a season ago. I know that they've been dealing with a few other ailments as well, but they've been able to get quite a bit out of Paul Mukehi, who just does it all. Doesn't necessarily score a ton with about 7.5 points per game, but 4.5 boards, 5 assists, he'll give you a steal per contest. So I like what he's been able to do for a Washington team that has been improved on defense and for Eastern Washington. Outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis without steal. Venters from a season ago, they just have not been able to find that primary score. Now they do have pretty much 6 for guys that give you at least eight and a half points per game. Dane Ericstrup is someone that had six foot ten is able to let it fly from three point range. Been able to get 70% three point shooting out of Lawan Watts. That's certainly going to be going downward for an Eastern Washington team. That overall 34.5% three point shooting, pretty sustainable. Jake Kaiman, who began his career over at UCLA, has been able to give you about 11 and a half points per game. He's been able to elevate in recent games with 15 plus points in three of the last four contests, but 
without having a lot down low. You've only got two separate guys that give you at least 3.9 rebounds per game. Eastern Washington, they've been playing much better on defense recently, giving up fewer than 70 points in each other last three games, but has been against lesser competition. And going up against Washington team has been just cutting through defenses like a hot knife through butter as they've been able to get to at least 78 points in now each other last five games. They've gotten to at least 74 points in every one of their games thus far this season. I do think that Washington could be able to run it up on an Eastern Washington team that has been very poor on defense. I did set my total at 162. Washington with their newly revamped and up-tempo style. Going to be able to lay it here on this one. So I did set my line at a 162 in terms of total. Looking at the over. I want to lay the number with Washington. 769, 770 on the betting board. It is Oregon. They play us at Kent State. Kent State finds themselves as a 5.5 to a 6.5 point underdog. And your total is between 144.5 and 145.5. Kent State is actually playing at a top 30 pace in terms of total possessions per game, which is very weird to say. This is a team that last year, they were very much built on defense. I mean, they were a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but it's not like they were a team that was pushing tempo quite like this, so it has been a little bit surprising to see, but that said, this is going to be a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and with regards to Kent State, I did have to set them as a 7.5 point underdog. Oregon is still dealing with a whole bunch of injuries, as they're without Nate Biddle, they're without Infalidante, but at the same time, they do have still quite a bit in the backcourt. Jermaine Cuisinart has been able to give you about 11.5 points, does a good job rolling out the ball, has been able to shoot in the mid-30s, from three points for an Oregon team that has a hole. They do shoot about 35.5% from distance. And KJ Evans, a top 25 freshman in this year's class, he's been able to step up quite a bit as well. Nine plus points in each of the last four games. Does need to cut down on the five turnovers that we saw against Syracuse, but he did generate four steals in that game as well and has been able to generate a combined nine steals in the last three games. And Oregon has sort of had to rebuild themselves on the fly without having Biddle and Dante in the full. You do have a Kent State team that does have Chris Payton who's been able to give you about nine and a half rebounds per game. But last year, this Kent State team was very much built on being able to generate turnovers, which they still do a good job of. This is still a top 40 team in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. But last year, this Kent State team was a very dominant defense, top 40 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That has fallen to right in the neighborhood about 143rd. Now, this is a very weird stat, but they're giving up about 19.9 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they're at home. I think that's a direct result of the competition that they're playing against. Meanwhile, Oregon, they've been much better with regards to their defense when they've been at home, giving up about 14.5 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road. And for Kent State, you do have a little bit of an awkward backcourt. Without sincere carry out there, the turnovers have been hiking up with about 13.5 turnovers a game. Juvanti Santiago who typically plays off the ball. Said to become a main point guard. Santiago last year shot in the high 30s from three points, down to 18% this year, 4.3 assists to 2.9 turnovers a game. Kent State as a whole, they shoot 76.5% the free line, 34% from three with Jalen Sullinger chipping in their 15.5 points per game. So the guys around them have been solid, but this is just not as deep of a team as they were a season ago. They're not doing as good of a job during turnovers, and I do think that for Oregon, having KJ Evans be able to step up a little bit more, I think that that is going to be instrumental for them moving forward. So I did set Oregon as a favorite of 7.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 7 with them, and did set my total at 147.5 with the way that Kent State has really hyped up the tempo. So looking at the over, and one to lay it with Oregon. 771-772 on the betting board. It is UNLV. They play off Hofstra. Hofstra finds themselves as a 4-5 point under.
underdog with your total between 141.5 and 142. And with Hofstra, I did set them as an underdog of four points. Now getting between four and a half and five, I'm going to be willing to take a look at those points. It's a UNLV defense that clearly has been able to play much better. They do lose that game in double overtime against St. Mary's, in my opinion. There's just no shame in that. They did a really nice job holding down Creighton. I think that they had just caught Creighton on a rough night, though. But for UNLV, this is a bunch that they have just been such a different team recently with regards to their defense because overall for the campaign, 244th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But in the last three games, they have seen a downtick of more than 10 points fewer per one hour possessions allowed. So I do think that they're turning the corner a little bit, but I still do have my question marks. You've got a Hofstra team that I still remember last year. They were rough on defense to begin the season. In conference play, they were a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Right now, they're clocking in more around 203rd. But with Hofstra, maybe got some very good guard play. I would say that it's something unlike UNLV has seen, but UNLV has seen Creighton, so they've seen it all. But Tyler Thomas has given you 23 points per contest, has been able to shoot it at about a 40% clip from three point range. Hofstra's whole shoots 38.2% from three, 79% the free throw line with about 11 and a half turnovers per game. And Yaquan Carlos, 7.3 assists to three turnovers per game. Not a lot of size down low. Darlson Dunbar, the only guy for Hofstra giving you north of five rebounds per game. He doesn't necessarily have particularly great size. And for UNLV, now you've got both of the Boone brothers out there. Caleb Boone was good to go for the entirety of the season, but now you've got Keelan Boone out there as well, who's been able to do a nice job with a combined 12 rebounds in the first two games of the campaign. And this is a UNLV team that has done a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Six assists per game out of Dedrin Thomas as a true freshman has been solid. He's also been able to shoot 41% from three with 13 half points per game. But for Jalen Hill, he was a starter over at Oklahoma last year. Just expected a little bit more than 11 half points and seven rebounds per game. Fine numbers, but for someone that was a starter out there in the Big 12, you'd think that he'd be dominating a little bit more than what he is. For UNLV, again, defense has been much better for this team as they have now given up 70 points or fewer in three of their last four games with both of the Boons out there that has been helping them out. Meanwhile, it is a Hofstra team that has scored fewer than 70 points in three of their last four games, so an interesting spot here because neither of these teams are particularly up-tempo. I did some eighth total, though, at a 142 side of 141.5. Looking at the over, Hofstra, very efficient team with some good top-flight scoring, and I do think that UNLV going to you see a little bit of a downward tick in terms of their defense. They have been a little bit rough all season long, and I do think that this is a game close enough for late game filling. I said Hofstra has a four-point dog, so we'll take four and a half there and look at the over. 773, 774 on the betting board. St. Mary's is going to be playing us in Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky does find themselves as between 14 and a half to 15-point underdogs. Drills between 127 and 127 half with Northern Kentucky. I did set them as an underdog of 14 points, so getting 14 and a half to 15, I'm going to be taking a look at those points. It's a St. Mary's team that is well outside the top 200 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. We still have Aiden Mahaney. Spain will do a good job giving you about 13.5 points per game. The three-point shooting percentage, though, just way down. St. Mary's as a whole is shooting 27% for three. Now, I do think that this is going to rise up a little bit more. They're 37% three-point shooting from a season ago with largely the same amount of pieces. I do think that it's fair to say that last year was an outlier. I think that it's fair to say this year is an outlier. You're probably going to be some, seeing something in the middle of what we've seen this year and what we have got last year. But that said, this is going to be an ordeal where I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northern Kentucky because they do a good job of being able to generate some turnovers for Northern Kentucky. They're generating about nine and a half seals per game with Sam Vincent, one of the best ball hawks in all of college basketball, about 14 points, five and a half boards, 
nearly three steals per contest. Shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Would like to see Marcus Warwick be able to pick it up a little bit in terms of his three-point shooting as he's only shooting about 33% from distance. Last year, shot more in the neighborhood about 38% from the outside. That's been able to give you about 19 points per game. And you are missing their top rebounder from a season ago as Chris Brandon. He had nine plus rebounds per game. As a result, you have nobody with north of six boards per contest this season with Trey Robinson holding it down. Mitchell Saxon on the flip side for St. Mary should be able to win that battle down low as he's been able to log about eight and a half boards, a little bit over a block per contest. And you've got Joshua Jefferson who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game. So while St. Mary's should be able to do a good job of locking it down down low, and St. Mary's still has been a solid defense. It's not quite where it was a season ago, but in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, St. Mary's still a top 25 team with that regard. It is a Northern Kentucky team that they do pride themselves on defense as well. Both of these teams outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game with Northern Kentucky. They're clocking in about 148th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I do think that it's going to be a slog for either of these teams to be able to put points upon the board. So I did set my total 144, diving in on the under and being able to get north of 14. Going to be one thing the points with Northern Kentucky. 775, 776 on the bank board. Cal Poly is to be playing us Oma. Oma does find themselves as one and a half to two point favorites. Your totals between 135 and a half and 136. And I did set Oma as an underdog of two and a half points. So I'm going to be willing to take Cal Poly outright on the money line. It is a Cal Poly team that still is not amazing in terms of their offense, but they've been able to find some pieces. Jared Heider, I remember a few seasons ago when he was over at Fresno State, was logging about nine points, three assists per game, and been able to get Kobe Sanders going for about 17 and a half points per game. This is something that Cal Poly hasn't had in quite a long time. He's able to shoot about 35% from three-point range, and Sanders really has things rolling right now. He has been able to deliver for the team at least 16 points in each other last seven games and has been incredibly consistent. At least 12 points in every single game this far this season going up against an Omaha team that they've got a nice half-flight score of their own. Frankie Fiddler has been able to shoot 36.5% from three, 15 points per game. It is an Omaha team, though, that they just have some suspect rebounding. Each other top three scores give you at least 4.9 rebounds per game. Nobody else gives you north of 2.9 rebounds per game. You've got a Omaha team that does take care of the ball. 11 half turnovers per game, and we have noticed that Nebraska Omaha has been looking to play much more slowly under this current regime. For Nebraska Omaha, in terms of total possessions per game, they're clocking in right around about 278th Cal Poly. They're always one of the slower teams in all of college basketball, 279th in the country. So both of these teams play at essentially the same tempo. And for Cal Poly, Joel Armatraden, he's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game with about five and a half boards. Markel Sutton on the flip side for Omaha, right now leading the way with about five and a half rebounds per game. So the Cal Poly Achilles heel of them not being able to hit the glass, not going to be exposed here. There's a Cal Poly team that in games have wrapped up in regulation because they played a few games that have gone to overtime ever since game number two of the season against Denver. They have not broken the 70-point plateau in any of them. It's a nebraska Omaha team that they themselves have been a bit all over the place as they have scored in their last five games, 104, 78, 58, 58, and 88 points. But much of their scoring prowess has come against non-Division I competition as against C1 teams. I believe that they have broken the 70-point plateau twice thus far this season. So I do think that you get a little bit of a team down game set by total at a 132.5. Both of these teams super slow with their tempo, diving in on the under. Both Cal Poly, I do think that they get the job done on their home floor one, take them outright on the money line to go along with the under. 777, 778 on the bang board. San Diego plays us to South Dakota. South 
Dakota finds themselves as an underdog of eight and a half points. And your total on this game is between 160 and 160 and a half. And with San Diego, I did set them as a favorite of six points. So here at eight and a half, I'm going to be willing to take a look at those points. South Dakota got absolutely cooked about a week ago when they gave up 121 points against UC Irvine. But I still do think that South Dakota has a chance to be able to get a cover here because you do have some nice outside shooting. And now you've got someone that's able to hit the glass for this team, which has been badly needed as you've got Lahat Fione, who's been able to do a nice job with about 14 points, nine rebounds per contest. He chips in there a little bit in terms of just being able to handle the ball as well, even though he's not necessarily like a passing big man or anything like that. And he plays well with Boston Holt, who was a teammate of his while he was over at Utah a few seasons ago. He's been able to shoot about 43% from three. And I mean, it's a South Dakota team that as a whole, they're shooting about 38.5% from three point range. As a result of getting those wide open looks, they do turn the ball over quite a bit with 13.5 turnovers per game while being a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but not like a warp speed up-tempo team, but with South Dakota. They're also getting exposed with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage on the road. They're allowing opponents to shoot 38.6% from three-point range, and it is a San Diego team that ranks in the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're allowing opponents to shoot more around about 34% from three-point range when they are at home, so there's a little bit of vulnerability there, and it is a San Diego team that has very new, new look from a season ago. Last year, they brought in a whole bunch of top-flight transfers that they were hoping was going to be able to elevate this program, and they just weren't able to retain any of them. They're looking to do Cerner, who began his career over at Bucknell, to be able to give the team a lot of production as he's been able to log for the team 14 points per contest along with Willie McKinney, the fourth. Both of these guys have combined to shoot about 33% from three-point range with nearly three steals per contest, but you don't have a lot down low. You've been able to get about six rebounds per game when he's been out there from Steven Jamerson the second. He's been in and out of the fold. Looks like he should be good to go in this one, and he's been getting a few more minutes recently, but that's really the only guy on the roster that's able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game. That helps out a South Dakota team that has been a little bit rough on the glass. No doubt about it, the South Dakota State defense has been having a rough go of it. In their last two games, they have given up a combined 217 points. I did think that we're going to see a little bit of a bounce back there, and for San Diego, they have now given up north of 84 points in three of their last four games, and for the San Diego team, they themselves have been held to fewer than 70 points in two out of their last three games. So, it's a situation of a whole lot has got to give on both sides. I did set my total at 154. Neither of these teams play super-duper up-tempo, and I just think that you're going to see some sloppy play in general, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot. I'm San Diego currently set them as a six-point favorite, so looking for a bounce back here for South Dakota, looking at the points and looking at the under. 779, 780 on the bang board. Washington State is going to be playing against Boise State. This is a neutral court game that sees Washington State as a pick them to a one-point favorite. Your total is between 140 and 140 and a half, and did somebody total 133 and a half? Going to be looking at the under. We've got a pair of teams that are well outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. And with Washington State, I just think that they're the better team. I set them as a three and a half point favorite with this being in Spokane. It's technically in the state of Washington, but pretty equal travel for both of these teams. So don't be fooled there. But that said, with Boise State, I was just expecting a little bit more on the team this far this season. I mean, the defense has been fine in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is still one of the better mid-major teams in all of college basketball in the top 100 there. But when they've hit the road, they've got about 104.5 points per 100 possessions. Meanwhile, you go up against the Washington State team that, despite the fact that they do lose so much of their top flight rebounding from a season ago, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, the team is 21st in the country. Washington State has done a really nice job of being able to mix and match. And this is despite the fact that 
they have not gotten a lot out of Joseph Yasufu, who came in from Drake a few seasons ago. He helped them reach the NCAA tournament. You've been able to, for Washington State, have the Ido transfer and Isaac Jones, along with Miles Rice, really lead the way with about 31 points per contest. Rice is shooting 39.5% from three-pointing to Washington State. Just doing the little things well. They're turning the ball over about 10.5 times per contest. They do need to work on the 66% free throw shooting, and that's a little bit of a fear that you do have with this team, but Boise State only shoots about 69.5% from the free throw line as well, and this is a Boise State team that is still looking for that main facilitator. Right now, 6'9", Cam Martin is leading the way with about three assists per contest, but you could use someone like Chubuzo Egbo, who's been really good off the ball, to be able to handle it a little bit more. Tyson Dagenard at 6'8". He's got a nice skill set, and he's only shooting 27% from three. We should see a little bit of a rise here with 15 points per game, but with Omar Stanley coming in from St. John's, I just feel like he hasn't necessarily been the world's greatest fit for the team, coming off of a nice double-double against Kelsey Fullerton, but 9.5 points, 4.5 boards at 6'8". He last year shot 45.5% from three, but I feel like that was a little bit of fool's gold for Boise State. Again, they just need that main facilitator. They don't necessarily have a lot of depth then with Andre Yagmoski doing a solid job down low to help out Isaac Jones. I do think the Washington State is going to be able to control a game that's going to be very, very slow, defense-oriented. Boise State has allowed 70 points of fear in each other last five games. Washington State, they have allowed 72 points of fear in each other last five as well. So I did something I told 133 and a half diving in on the under. And with Washington State, going to be willing to lay up to three points with them. We go 781, 782. This is going to be out there for the Diamond Egg Classic as you've got Nevada and Temple doing battle. We give our own to Lane Kiffin. Don't go Owls as Temple does find themselves as an underdog of 8 to 8.5 points. Those between 147 and 148. Did set my line at an 8. So now that we're going to do an 8.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Temple. Temple has been able to get some good play down low. Steve Settle, the third, is capable of popping threes, but doesn't necessarily pop them very well. So I do like the fact that he's been tapering back a little bit on that front. They're going up against a Nevada team that has been very well-rounded. Nevada in the top 75 in the country. There's points scored and points a lot on a per-possession basis. And the way that Nevada has been able to get it done is that they don't beat themselves. This is not like some sort of an amazing three-point shooting team or anything like that as, as a collective. They're only shooting about 32.5% from the outside, but what they've got is Jared Lucas, who's able to lead the way with about 16 points per contest. He's been able to do a really nice job of playing both man-to-man and zone defense, which is why Nevada has been so good in terms of their defense. And it's not a Nevada team that really forces a bunch of turnovers or anything like that. They only generate about five steals per game, but they just guard the outside. Last year, they allowed opponents to shoot 33% from three. This year, 30.5% from the outside. They do a good job with their interior defense as well. You've got Nick Davis who's been able to give you about 6.5 boards, 10.5 points per game. So love what he's been able to bring to the table. He's chipping in there about 1.3 blocks per contest as well. And then Keenan Blackshear, just the ultimate Swiss Army knife. 16 points, 5.5 boards, 4.5 assists. So do like what you're seeing overall from the Savannah team. And then for Temple, go Owls with them. Heiser Miller has been able to do a really good job as that main facilitator with about 5 assists, 18 points per game. You've got a Temple team that's only shooting 31% from 3, but Adam Fisher, he was a part of that Penn State unit from a season ago. I do think that he's going to be able to get a little bit more offensive production out of these guys. You have been dealing with quite a few injuries with this team as... You've got a 12-point-per-game score that has been in and out of the fold and is very questionable for this game. And Jordan Riley, on top of that, Julio White has been missing for half of the season as well. But Shane DeZonay, who comes over from Vanderbilt, he's been able to do an okay job at 6'4". He's shooting about 31% from three. He's been able to give you about 5.5 points per contest. It is a Nevada team that, down low, they can be a little bit vulnerable. You need to see a little bit more out of Jazz Gardner as well. And when it comes to the San Sheriff Center, I've noticed this year that the rims feel very, very tight. So I do think that outside shooting... It's going to be at a premium in all four of these games. 
it is a circumstance where I did set my total at 142. Both of these teams may play at a rather mid-tempo. Neither of these teams are going to be going super fast. Neither of these teams are going to be going super duper slow. So it is a circumstance where here at a 148, going to be diving in on the under. And at 8.5 or more, taking a look at the points with Temple. 783, 784 on the betting board. Also out there in Hawaii, Old Dominion and TCU do battle. TCU, a 15-point favorite totals between 147.5 and 148 with TCU. Also set them as a 15-point favorite. I'm starting to see a few 15.5s pop and at a 15.5. That is my buy point on Old Dominion. TCU has played a very charm and soft schedule, and I did think that Old Dominion is very much a lesser team. With Old Dominion, I had some expectations for the team coming into the year, and they have not lived up to them. Old Dominion, outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, are doing a solid job taking care of the ball with about 11 turnovers per game, been able to get about 16.5 points per game out of Chauncey Jenkins, who chips in there about 3 assists per game, with Vasheen Aletti being able to play off the ball a little bit with his 5 boards, 14.5 points per game, but just a top-heavy team that hasn't gotten anything out of R.J. Blakeney. He was a solid player over at Dayton, shooting 37.5% from three, and all in all, you've got plenty of guys that are able to bomb it from three. For Old Dominion, out of your top six scores, you've got four of them that are able to shoot at least 37.5% from three-point range, so you do have plenty of guys that are able to shoot there, but you got a TCU team that they're willing to play at warp speed. TCU last year was cranking up their tempo a little bit more. Now it's on steroids. They're in the top 40 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and TCU has actually been able to do a really good job with their offense. Typically, when you think TCU, you think about their defense and how stout that is, but they're 22nd in the country, TCU is, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Once again, product of the competition that they're playing because they only shoot about 32.5% from three-point range, but Emmanuel Miller, along with Mr. Coles, have been able to do a nice job there. Jacoby Coles has been able to combine with Miller for about 29.5 points, then able to about 10.5 rebounds. You've got a team that just generates a bunch of swipes as well. Each of your top five scores for TCU give you at least a seal per game, and then you bring in the uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi transfer, Travion Tennyson, who's been able to help out in terms of the three-point shooting at 46% from the outside while TCU only turns the ball over about 12.5 times per game. Is this a little bit of step-up in competition for TCU? Yes, but I do think that Old Dominion, a bunch of sound given up 80-plus points in each of the last three games, is a little bit of a lesser team that TCU is going to be able to beat up on, much like they have been doing throughout much of the year against these lesser teams. So, at a 15 or less, I'm going to be one lay with TCU, 15.5 or more, and we're starting to see those 15.5s pop up. Going to be willing to take the points with Old Dominion. I did set my total at a 147, even though TCU plays fast, so a very south defense. So, looking at the under, and at 15.5 or more, looking at the points with Old Dominion, 785, 786 on the betting board. UMass is going to be playing against Georgia Tech. This is out there in Hawaii. UMass finds themselves as one and a half to two point favorites, and your total is between 150 and a half and 151. I did set Georgia Tech as the underdog of two and a half points, so getting less than two, I'm going to be willing to lay this number with UMass. It's been a squad that has really been able to bump up their tempo as well. This is a team that ranks in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game, and when Frank Martin had a full allotment of guys a season ago, this was a pretty stout defense, and UMass has done a really nice job down low. You've got a nice pair of twin towers in Josh Cohen, Matt Cross. They're giving you a combined 16.2 rebounds per game, combining for about 34 points per contest, and Cohen is out shooting 44% from three. Didn't show a lot of range while he was over at St. Francis of Pennsylvania a season ago, but has really been able to do a great job 
out on that front for a UMass team that they might not be the most efficient offense in the world, but they're still doing a relatively solid job. UMass 45th in the country towards the point scored on a per-possession basis going up against the Georgia Tech team that they just feel like they're very hodgepodge One night they're going to go out there and they're going to knock off Duke. The next night they go out there and they lose to UMass Lowell. And right now Georgia Tech 236th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. You've had Miles Kelly really be the stabilizer for this team. 16 points, 6 boards, not shooting it great from 3-point range. And the good news for this team is that Bay and Dongo should be good to go in this one. He's your main big man. That's Bay will give them 9 boards, 2 blocks. It's a big reason why we have seen Georgia Tech playing a little bit better on defense recently, as that has really been the calling card for this team. They have now given up 68 points or fewer in 3 out of their last 5 games. If you're looking at regulation and regulation only, it has been a squad that has given up now 72 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. They got their butt kicked by Cincinnati and ever since then, it's been a little bit of a turning point for the scene, but Georgia Tech is turning the ball for 13 times for contest. They're only shooting 29% from three-par range, and they have to attack the teeth of a UMass defense that has been able to do a relatively solid job around the perimeter. Still a little bit of a work in progress there, but down low, this has been one of the better rebounding teams in college basketball. UMass, a top 80 team, turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do think that for UMass, they're going to do a nice job against a Georgia Tech team that just has not been executing in general, even with their main big man back in fold. It is a Georgia Tech team that turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're outside of the top 100. They're giving up about 17.5 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. And with UMass, they don't have to rely upon outside shooting, so those tight rims do, does apply to them just a little bit less. So, did somebody total 154 and a half, looking at the over, and with UMass willing to lay up to two with them. 787, 788 on the main board. It is Portland, and they're going to be in the road face-off against Hawaii. Hawaii is the true home team in this one, and they do find themselves as favorites in the neighborhood about nine points in your total. is between 149 and a half and 150, and with Hawaii, set them as a 15-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It's a Portland squad that it just feels like is a work in progress. Tyler Robertson has been able to do a nice job as a point forward, 15 points, five boards, five assists. Hasn't necessarily been tremendous from three-point range, but I mean, he engineers a Portland team that has been all offense, no defense, and even with the offense of Portland, right around 205th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. As this team last year was one of the least efficient on defense in the country. You could tell that Chris Austin, who was a starter for the team two seasons ago, missed all of last year due to injury. He's still trying to bounce back, still averaging single digits, and for Portland, they are currently giving up about 20.3 points more per one hour Possessions on the road rather than at home. 296th in the country overall in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And this is a Hawaii team that ranks in the top 85 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They've been a top 50 team in the country in terms of opponents' three point shooting percentage if you combine the last two seasons. And for Hawaii, you've got someone in Mosek who's seven feet tall. He's certainly going to be able to win the battle down low. You've also been able to have Bernardo da Silva be able to chip in there right around six rebounds per game. Hawaii has plenty of guys that are able to go out there and they're just able to hit shots in general as you been able to have Justin McCoy come in from the ACC 11.6 board, shooting 39% from three-point range all in all. It is a Hawaii team that just shoot 37% from three-point range. Coleman shoots 40% from the outside and Juan Munoz who's been all sorts of banged up. He's in like his 15th year of college basketball. He's shot 48.5% from three. Jovan McClanahan more around 43.5% from the outside as Munoz and McClanahan combined for about 18 points. A little bit over five assists per game. Hawaii has been able to do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball. Hawaii has also got a nice gift in this one in the fact that Portland does not generate a lot of steals and it's been a Portland team that's been all over the place in terms of their offense as well. Failing to get past the 68 point plateau in 
three out of their last five games. Certainly, Hawaii has been all over the place in terms of their defense, but it does feel like a lot of that defense is starting to come back, even though they lose that game against Nevada. They hold them to 72 points. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more slow down in this one. I did set my total at 145. I do think that Portland is going to be playing a little bit more slowly moving forward to try to be able to take care of the ball a little bit more as they've been turning the ball over north of 14 times for contest. You've got an Hawaii team that at their core last year, they were a very slow and controlled team as well. So this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. And when it comes to Hawaii, I was willing to lay up to 15 with them. So I'm going to be willing to lay the number. All right, on these last two on the normal Las Vegas betting board, I do have to handicap forward as I do not know the result of what happened in the Sun Bowl yet, but 789, 790, and 791, 792 is going to be occurring out there in lovely Texas, El Paso, as I'm thinking that UTEP should be able to get by Norfolk State, and if you do get that, you would have Wyoming versus UTEP in 791, 792, which would lead to South Dakota State versus Norfolk State. If you do get South Dakota State versus Norfolk State, we'll be setting South Dakota State as a six-point favorite with a total of 142. We've got a Norfolk State team that is looking to slow things down a little bit more, and South Dakota State is balls the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. We have seen South Dakota State, though, really be able to dominate with the best player, Arthur and Fort, and Zeke Mayo. He's been able to do a tremendous job with 18 points, 6 boards, 6 assists, and it is a South Dakota State team that shoots it really well from 3-point range. It is also a South Dakota State team that you know that they are going to have their bubbles with regards to the defensive side of things, but they've been a little bit better this season with having someone in Charlie easily be able to generate about 3 seals per game, and it is a Norfolk State team that, if they do get them, that has been able to feed a few different guys, but it's not featuring a lot of size. It's down low. You don't really have anyone that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game as their main man down low has been able to give you about 5.5 boards, 7 points per game in Jelani Darden. You've been able to get good production on Jamari Thomas, who comes in from UNC Wilmington with about 19 points per game. And to the credit of Norfolk State, they're only turning the ball over about Ten and a half times per game. They've got some relatively good three-point shooters that I do think it's doing for a little bit of positivity. Norfolk State has been looking to die things down a little bit more with regards to their tempo as well. So this would be a spot where if you do get Norfolk State against South Dakota State, I would be willing to lay up to five and a half with South Dakota State six half or more. Taking a look at the points with Norfolk State one forty one half or less. Taking a look at the over one forty two and a half or higher to the under. And then if you were to for some reason instead get South Dakota State versus UTEP, that's a line that I'd be setting more with UTEP being a very slight like one to two-point favorite as I do think that they get Wyoming and in the spot with UTEP versus Wyoming I will be setting UTEP as a three-point favorite total on this game was 137 and with UTEP they would be the true home team in this one and with UTEP I think that this is actually a quite good matchup for them against Wyoming I would need to see the game but I'd probably be even willing to set this closer to a three and a half or a four when it's all said and done because Wyoming has been turning the ball over north of 15 times a game and the uh, forte of UTEP generating turnovers they're a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. You do have a Wyoming team that does have some nice explosive scores. We saw them put up 78 yesterday against South Dakota State, going 8 of 16 from three-point range as you've got a, a cool cut who's been able to do a nice job in concert with Sam Griffin of being able to combine for about 34, 35 points per contest, but it's a little bit of a top-heavy team as well. You would like to see Wyoming be a little bit of a better rebounding team going up against Kevin Kalu, who for UTEP is able to give you about six boards per contest, really other than Griffin, along with Cam Manu. You don't have a lot of guys that have been able to do an amazing 
amazing job on the glass. So you're getting a little bit more out of Caden Boom Boom Powell. It's been able to give you about six rebounds per game, but those 16 turnovers per game, a little bit gasoline for Wyoming. They're currently shooting as a collective just below 44% from three-point range. I do think that we're going to see some regression there. I fully recognize that with UTEP, with their style, they do allow a few more three-point shots. But that said, that would be a spot where I'd be setting UTEP as a three-point favorite. And with the total 136.5 or less, looking at the over 137.5 or higher to the under. And again, if you do get instead Wyoming having to go up against Norfolk State, I would be setting Norfolk State probably as about a four to a five-point underdog, and that would be a total that I'd be setting in the high 130s, perhaps a 140, but planning a little bit more for Wyoming versus Utah, South Dakota State, and Norfolk State, but those changes will be made in the AM if they do need to be made, but that said, had to project a little bit forward. Apologize there, but that'll do it for the normal Las Vegas betting board. Now let's see the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-573, 306-573, it is Dartmouth, and they've hit the road to face off against Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart is a favorite of three points. Your total on this game is between 137 and 138 and And with Dartmouth, I did set them as a seven and a half point underdog. I'm going to be one to lay with Sacred Heart. Now with Sacred Heart, it has been a really rough sledding for this team over the last few games. Tanner Thomas being out that has been playing a big role for this bunch, but I do think that they're going to be able to bounce back against a Dartmouth team that's been dealing with all sorts of injuries. Brandon Mitchell Day has been dealing with injury. Dusan Niskovic as well, though I do think that Dusan Niskovic should be good to go in this one, but probably not going to be playing at his full allotment of minutes. We did see him in the team's last game be able to get out there for like 15 or so minutes off the bench, so a little bit of an encouraging sign there, but when it comes to the Sacred Heart bunch, you still do have Nico Galati who's been able to give you 14 points. He chips in there six half boards, all sorts of versatile, and you do have a, another guy that's able to do a nice job down low and is really doing a nice job of filling the place of Thomas and Alex Sobel. Sobel has been able to give you about seven boards per contest. Doesn't give you quite the same three-point shooting that Tanner Thomas does, but he is going to be able to give you a little bit of something down low, and I do expect a little bit of a bounce back from Raheem Solomon along with Aiden Carpenter. These guys have been able to combine for 15 points per game. Carpenter shoots 35.5% for three. Solomon, a career mid-30 three-point shooter, less than 30% thus far this season, but it is a Dartmouth team that they certainly are going to be giving up a lot of looks from the outside with the Sartmouth team. They're about 140th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but on the road, they allow opponents to shoot about 36% from the outside. It is a Dartmouth team that they've had their troubles in being able to execute on offense 348th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but they do go up against a Sacred Heart team that they're a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game. It is a Sacred Heart team that, as well, they have their defensive woes, points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're clocking in right around 214th, and they really don't get a bump from being at home with regards to their defense. It is a Dartmouth team that just really doesn't have a lot of scoring to speak of other than Niskovic, who should be good to go in this one. You don't have anyone else that's able to give you north of 9.5 points per game, and Ryan Cornish, a double-figure score from the season ago. He's only been able to give you six points per game, has really taken a lot of steps back, so I do think that Sacred Heart, despite the injuries, they're going to be able to persevere, be able to get it done against the Dartmouth team that against Division One competition, it has been really rough for them, but I do think that the lack of defense that you're seeing out of both of these teams is going to allow both of these teams to be able to erupt a little bit more on offense. So, to somebody told 141 half, looking at the over, and I'm going to lay up to someone Sacred Heart, 306575, 306.575, 306.576. It is Fordham, man. They're going to be playing us to Central Connecticut. Central Connecticut does find themselves as 9 to 10 point underdogs with your total between 136 half and 137. Fordham, I did set them as a favorite of 11 half points. I'm going to be one to lay the number. It is a Fordham team that still ranks in the top 75 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Fordham has really cranked up their tempo last few seasons. 
Top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game. And for Central Connecticut, the big bugaboo for this team. They don't have anything down low. Meanwhile, you've got Abdul Sambilia, who for Fordham gives you about 8 points, 8 boards, 2 blocks per contest. Meanwhile, you don't have a single guy for Central Connecticut giving north of 4.5 rebounds per game as Alan Jean Rose, Lonkel, and Amos both do log about 4.5 rebounds per game. Amos, 3.3 assists per game. It is a Central Connecticut team that does shoot about 32% from 3 point range. And you've got a 53% 3 point shooter, Trey Breland, who I think is going to be seeing a little bit of regression with that moving forward as he's also been able to chip in there about three and a half rebounds per game, but Central Connecticut is a team that ranks outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game and in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It has been quite gross for the Central Connecticut team as well. Right around 212th in the country. I will say this for them. They've actually given up right around about 2.8 points fewer per one hour possessions on the road rather than at home, but they just haven't been able to get a lot going on offense. 68 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. And for Fordham, they've had a tough time with their offense as well, failing to get past the 60-point plateau in their last two games. And for Fordham, the defense has been a little bit more rough in the last few games, giving up a bunch of points to St. John's and Tulane, but I do think that they're going to be able to bounce back here. I did set Fordham as an 11-point favorite, as I do think that they win from within, and with just the sheer tempo that Fordham is playing with, I do think that you get a higher scoring game. So by total 141.5, looking at the over, and going to be one delayed with Fordham. 3 of 6, 5, 77, 3 of 6, 5, 78. George Washington is going to be playing a Alcorn State. Our nation's first president is a 15-point favorite. Those between 160 and 161. Alcorn State has played all but two of their games to the over thus far this season. They're a bottom 10 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and now they go up against the George Washington team that does rank in the top 25 in terms of total possessions per game. So, semi-total 165, looking at the over and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 17 points with the George Washington team that has four separate guys giving you at least 12.8 points per game. Jason Bishop, the fourth, is your top guy with north of 16.5 points per game but Garrett Johnson as a freshman, shooting 41.5% from distance at 6 foot 8. That's good versatility. He's been able to also log about 6.5 rebounds per game and you've been able to get a combined in that neighborhood above 12 rebounds per game out of Darian Buchanan Jr. along with Maximus Edwards. Edwards is shooting 43% from the outside for George Washington. They do turn the ball over about 14 and a half times per game. And Alcorn State, not terrible in the way that they generate turnovers with about 7.5 per game. But for Alcorn State, they have now given up 86 plus points in each other last five games. Now they go up against the most up-tempo team that they've really seen since they gave up the 93 against TCU. And as a matter of fact, for Alcorn State, I don't think that there's a game against a D1 foe that they have given up fewer than 80 points against all season long. Jeremiah Kendall should be able to give you a bit of something down those 6 half boards, 16 points per game, but he's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 4 rebounds per game. Alcorn State is not a terrible outside shooting team. They shoot about 33.5% from distance, but they also give it up from the outside as well. Alcorn State, 353rd in the country in terms of opponents' 3-point shooting percent. And it's a George Washington team that has ascended into being a pretty solid defense. They're 30th in the country in opponents' 3-point shooting percentage, a top 75 team there's points a lot on a per-possession basis, but with how up-tempo they play, I do think that there's going to be a lot of possessions in this game that allow George Washington to beat up on an Alcorn State team that might be able to generate a few turnovers, but when they don't get those turnovers, they're going to allow an easy bucket. So I did set my total at 165. I'm going to be looking at the over of George Washington. One to lay up to 16.5 with them. 3 of 6, 5, 79. 3 of 6, 5, 80. You've got Young Sun State playing against the Navy. Navy finds themselves as 9.5 to 10-point underdogs, and your total is between 138.5 and 139, seeing a 10.5 it up there as well, and I did say Young South State as a 10.5 point favorite, so at a 10 or less, I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Navy has been able to do an exceptional job with their defense, 
and they've been exceptionally bad with their offense. As for Navy, a bottom 40 team in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Also for Navy, 26th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So Navy giving up 17.5 points more per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. And for Navy, this is a sub-30% three-point shooting team. They just haven't necessarily found that main man to be able to go to Austin Bengini able to give you 12.5 points per game, and he's the only guy on the roster that gives you a north of 9.2 points per game. They have found a primary rebounder, as Donovan Draper has been able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game, but it's one of just two guys on the roster that give you north of 3.8 rebounds per game. For Navy, perhaps Cam Summers can be a little bit of a guy that elevates this offense. He's been able to shoot 56% from three-point range and has put in their double figures in each of the last three games, but this is still an incredibly inefficient Navy offense. And for Young Sunset, certainly this defense over the last few years has left quite a bit of something to be desired, but it really does feel like they've turned over a new leaf. 72 points for Fierce Renner in each of their last five games with the 72 that they gave up to a very good Ohio team. So I do like what I'm seeing there. Youngstown State is now about 116th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Youngstown State has never really played like super-duper up-tempo either. They've been able to have DJ turn it up Burns do a solid job down low as he comes in for Murray State. He's been able to give you about nine rebounds per game. You don't have a ton of rebounding outside of him, but you've got a nice core of guys with six different guys logging between 8.8 and 12.9 points per game. They've lost a lot from last year, but they've done a nice job of having all the losses that they took on the offensive end being sort of taken care of by committee. It is a team that only shoots about 33% from three-point range, but Brett Thompson giving you about three and a half assists per game along with Brandon Langdon. That's been very helpful for the team. EJ Farmer has been able to build himself up just a little bit as well. Comes in from Tulane. Had a little bit of a rough start to the season but in the last two games, a combined 32 points, 8 assists, and 1 turnover. So that's been a nice confidence booster for him. We've got Ziggy Reed along with Brandon Rush combining for about 25 points per game and for Navy, I do think that their defensive votes on the road do continue as in their last two road games, they've given up 70 plus in every one of them. I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring slog with what we've seen out of Youngstown State, and I just don't think the Navy scores enough dying within the number. One delay up to 10 with Youngstown State, and this one made total 133.5, so diving in on the under, and one delay with the Youngstown State, 306.581, Lafayette does play us to Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac, a 1.5 to a 3-point favorite. Your total's between 138 and 139, and with Quinnipiac, I did set them as a 5.5-point favorite. I'm going to be one delay this number. It's a Lafayette team that, over the last two seasons, has been one of the slower ones in all of college basketball. They're not quite as slow as they were last year, where they were outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, more around 255th this season, but now they have to go up against the Quinnipiac team that should be able to outgun them on the glass. With Quinnipiac, not like they've got absolutely incredible size or that one guy that's giving you like 10 plus rebounds per game, but for Quinnipiac, they just come at you in droves. You've got five separate guys that will be able to give you at least four rebounds per game. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Raheard Vavers, but Aside from that, should have everyone good to go in this game. Palutino has been able to give you 10 points, 5.5 boards. He's been a primary rim protector as he's been able to give you a little bit of a block per contest. Mari Tice tips in there a block and a half, steal and a half per game as well. So Quinnipiac has been able to up their defense while shooting 80% the free throw line, 36% from three-point range. Highly efficient with Matt Belanish being able to give you north of 15 points per game. It is a Quinnipiac team that in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they've been one of the more efficient mid-major offenses in all of college basketball going up against the squad in Lafayette that they've been leaving much to be desired on the offensive side of things. 352nd in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, scoring six points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than when they are on the road as they've got one double figure scorer in Eric Sodenberg who's been able to give you about 10.5 points 
four boards per contest. You don't have a single guy on this Lafayette team that's giving you north of five rebounds per game, though each of your top four scorers do give you north of four rebounds per game. But for Lafayette, they shoot 38.5% from the floor, 66% on the free throw line at 29.5% from three-point range. Going up against Quinnipiac team that can be a little bit vulnerable, but I do think that for Quinnipiac, I think that they're going to do a nice job taking it to a Lafayette defense that just is not what they have been in past years. It is a Lafayette team that has given up at least 79 points in three out of their last five games. You've got a Quinnipiac bunch that has done a nice job being able to bump up their tempo, 70 plus points in five out of their last six games. And it is a Quinnipiac team that can be slightly suspect on defense as well. So it did set my 12 141 half, looking at the over, and with Quinnipiac, going to be one to lay up to five points with them. Three 306583 Harvard is playing us Holy Cross and Holy Cross finds themselves as an underdog of 16 points with your total between 141 and 143 and a half and with Holy Cross I did set them as an underdog of 19 and a half points I'm going to be one to lay this number it's a Holy Cross team that just right now is nothing down low Joe Octave who's right around about a 6 foot 2 6 foot 3 guard is the lone man on the roster giving you north of 5.2 rebounds per game and he's really had to do it all 14 and a half points six boards, shooting about 32% from three. I expected Will Batchelor, Bo Montgomery to really be nice facilitators, help give 10 plus points per contest between the two of them, about 16 and a half points, five assists per game, and both have been banged up a little bit this year with Montgomery, missing a pair of games before returning a game or two ago. You've got a Harvard team that has been able to have the Mack truck just absolutely rolling through teams. Malik Mack, about 20 points, four boards, four assists on 47% three-point shooting, and I do foresee a little bit of a fall off coming for that Harvard outside shooting as a collective they're shooting about 37.5% from the outside as we've also been able to get 40 plus percent three-point shooting out of six foot eight Chisum Opara who's really taking some strides forward last year saw a player with about seven and a half points per game but 17 plus points before the last five games sometimes does have a few turnover woes but it's a Harvard team as a whole they're only turning the ball over about 11 times for contest maybe they able to get a combined five blocks per game as well with Justice Ojabar not necessarily being amazing on offense with eight and a half points per game but seven and a half boards 2.9 blocks per game with Holy Cross not really having any sort of size down low. It's a Holy Cross team that's really struggled with their offense. 67 points or fewer in each other last five games. 64 or fewer in four out of those five going up against a Harvard team that has really done a nice job of being able to bump up their offense. They've been able to get to at least 76 points in three out of their last five games. It is a very interesting ordeal with a Harvard team that is now well outside the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, which is a little bit of a fall from last year, but Harvard still 47th in the country and opponents three-point shooting percentage with Holy Cross not having anything down low. I do think that this turns into a buck kicking. I did set Harvard as a 19 and a half point favorite. Could it be one to lay the number? Did set my total at 141 half, so here at a 143 with Holy Cross alongside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game. Diving under and going to be one to lay it with Harvard. 306-585-306-586. UIC is going to be playing us to Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word does find themselves as 14 to 15 point underdogs and your total on this game is any between 146 seeing size a 147 half out there as well and I did set my total at 142. Going to be looking at the under. Fully recognize that this is an incarnate word team that has been suspect with regards to their defense. That's the best way of putting it. 292nd in the country with this regard. But UIC 18th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, UIC is allowing opponents to shoot just 22.7% from three, which there's going to be regression with that. There is no team since Norfolk State in the 2004-05 season that has went through an entire college basketball season allowing opponents to shoot less than 26.4% from three-point range. But even though I see that regression coming, 
I don't think that it comes against this incarnate word team that has been all sorts of suspect in nearly every aspect of basketball. Sky Wicks has been solid for incarnate word. About 18.5 points, 6 half boards, shooting about 34.5% from 3 for a word team that overall they shoot 33.5% from the outside, but incarnate word, 15.7 turnovers per game. They sped things up a little bit more and really other than Sky Wicks, it's been all about Sean Robinson coming over from Austin Peep, giving you about 12.6 half rebounds per game. That's really that main Robin for this team and if I say you don't have a lot down low, You've got a team that does a really rough job in terms of facilitation as well. And for UIC, a little bit of a work in progress on offense as well as they do turn the ball over 13 half times per game, but their three-point shooting has been quite solid at 38% from the outside. You've got each of your top five scores shooting at least 36.7% from three-point range, including Isaiah Rivera, the transfer from Colorado State, give you 15 points in the neighborhood, about a assist and half per contest as well. And then for Incarnate Word, this team has actually been halfway decent at guarding the three-point arc themselves, about 106th in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage. So I do think that we are going to see outside shooting be at a little bit of a premium in this game, but UIC should be able to do a much better job on the glass. I do think that they're going to be able to take care of business there. I do think, though, for the, this UIC team, they see a little bit of regression coming their way on the defensive side of things. Outside of Toby O'Connor, along with Isaiah Rivera, you don't have a ton of scoring as you've only got three guys on the roster. Give me north of seven and a half points per game. And I do think that Incarnate Word going to be able to hold their own a little bit more in terms of hitting the glass. And this is a UIC team that with the way that they play, I think that's going to be a little bit difficult for them to win by margin as this has been a team that has scored fewer than 70 points so far in their last five games. So I did set my total 142, diving in on the under, and set my line at a 14, so 15 is going to be a take for me on Incarnate Word along 14F to go along with the unders. 306-587-306-588. Wake Forest plays host of Presbyterian. Presbyterian is an underdog of 20 points. Totals between 144.5 and 147.5. I did set Wake Forest as a 17.5 point favorite, so here at 20, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Presbyterian. Presbyterian certainly did have their numbers a little bit warped to begin the season when they knocked off Vanderbilt, too. It turns out they just absolutely stink, but that said, with this Presbyterian team, you do have Marquise Barnett, who's been able to do a really nice job, giving you about 13.5 points per game, chipping in their three assists, one point eight seals per game, and then you got a really good three-point shooter in Samaj Teal. He's been able to shoot 46% from three. For Wake Forest, the good news with them is that now they've got Efton Reed back in the fold, and that helps them out because they've been really relying upon just four main guys to do it all for the team as Austin Carr is giving you seven half boards, 15 points per game, and then Hunter Sells, Cameron Ildreth, and Kevin Boopy Miller, they've been having to combine for in the neighborhood of about 49 points per game. You have Hildreth, who's able to give you three and a half assists per game, Miller four assists per contest, but I mean, really outside those four guys, you get zero production out of anyone else. Having a seven-footer in Reed, that's able to give you eight rebounds per game. That helps out a little bit, but it's still a very top-heavy team. You've got a Presbyterian bunch that does a good job of holding onto the ball, 11 after turnovers per game. They shoot 35% from three-point range, and it's a Presbyterian team that has been much improved on defense. They still have a little bit of a ways to go. They absolutely do, but in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this team is right around about 190th. They're giving up more than four points fewer per 100 possessions this year than they did a season ago. And Wake Forest, been improved on defense from a season ago as well. Wake Forest now a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is a Wake Forest team that has been a little bit all over the place in terms of their offense. Again, they're a very one-dimensional team, and I do think that Presbyterian going to be able to utilize that to their advantage. It's been a Presbyterian team that against Division One competition has been able to hold up defensively, giving up 71 points or fewer in now three of their last five games. And it is a Wake Forest team to 
to their credit, 71 points for Fierce Render in each of their last five games as well. So, interesting spot here. I did set my total at a 151F. I do think that with Wake Forest, getting now Efton Reed back in the fold, that is going to help them be able to bump up their tempo a little bit closer to what it was a season ago. And for Presbyterian, they are a little bit able to be exposed from the outside, but I do think that with Presbyterian, they're going to be able to do a good job with their backcourt of holding within 20, so going to be taking a look at the points and the over. 306-589, 306-590, Virginia Tech plays those to American, and American finds themselves as 18 and a half to 19 point underdog. So it was between 141 and 141F, and with American, I did set them as an underdog of 19 points. This opened up at 17, so here at 18 and a half, it's pretty much my max buy point on Virginia Tech, but I'm still willing to lay the 18 and a half with them. It is an American team that you can tell that they're a little bit bothered from a season ago, losing Johnny O'Neill, who was very solid, able to pop threes, was able to give you about six to seven rebounds per game, though Matt Rogers has a similar skill set, 16 points, six half boards, at right around six foot nine, has been able to shoot 35% from three-point range, and it's a much more efficient American team than a season ago. Last year, they were turning the ball over to our near 15 times for contest. That's down to a right around about 11 and a half times per game this season. So good signs there, but same time, you do have yourself a Virginia Tech team that they're all sorts of efficient with regards to their offense as well. Down with regards to their three-point shooting this year to about 34%, but Lincoln has been very dominant down low, giving you about seven and a half boards, 15 points per game. It is a Virginia Tech team that has Hunter Couture shooting about 38% for three-point range as well, giving you about 14 and a half points per game, and then Sean Padula. Satchit suffered 13 points, four boards, four assists. Absolutely love what he's been able to bring to the table, though. He's been a little bit banged up throughout the season, was limited to just 17 minutes in that game against Vermont, so you do have a couple worry signs there, but it is an American team that despite the fact that they still play rather under control, they're elevating their possessions per game from what it was a season ago where they were in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball, but they're just getting destroyed on defense. 315th in the country. Terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and Virginia Tech still a little bit of a work in progress with that regard, but they're a top 50 team at, at home. You've got Virginia Tech giving up about 24.5 points less per run on possessions rather than on the road. So this is a spot where I did set my line at 19. I'm going to be one to lay up to 18.5 with Virginia Tech. Did set my total at a 143 as well, as I do think that they take advantage of an American team playing faster, but less efficient defense. So we're going to the over and one to lay with Virginia Tech. 386 592. Ohio State is going to be playing against New Orleans. New Orleans finds themselves as 22 and a half to 24 point underdogs. Trolls between 155 and 156. And with Ohio State, I did set them as a favorite of 23 points. So here at a 24, I'm going to be willing to take those points with New Orleans. It is a privateer squad that does have Jordan Johnson, who's one of the better scorers that you're going to find in mid-major college basketball. Last year shot darn near 50% from three-point range. And while I knew that that would not be sustainable, he's still been able to do a really good job, giving you about 23 points per game. He still shoots 88% the free line in from three-point range, despite the fact that it's a fall he's still shooting about 37.5% from the outside. And for New Orleans, last year they were one of the worst teams at being able to take care of the ball in all of college basketball. Only about 12.5 turnovers per game with them playing at a rather high tempo. That's not too shabby. You're going to need more out of James Glisson III. Two seasons ago while he was ever at Mercer was a 10.5.5 rebound per game guy and just has delivered nothing for the team. Meanwhile for Iowa State, they're certainly going to be able to win that battle down low as you've got Zed Key along with Felix Opara. Both giving you six half rebounds per game with Opara 2.2 blocks per contest for an Ohio State team that has been one of the more efficient offenses in all of college basketball. Ohio State, alongside the top 275 in terms of possessions per game, they don't run it and gun it, but this Ohio State team, they shoot 38% from three-point range, 18th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but strangely, actually averaging a point more per one hour possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. It is a New Orleans team that they're clocking in 281st in terms of their offensive efficiency because they don't necessarily have a lot down low. 
Jamon Vincent. He's right now leading the way with about six and a half rebounds per game, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue for Ohio State. They do a nice job taking care of the ball, 11.3 turnovers per game with having Roddy Yale, Bruce Sorton combining for about 7.7 assists, 33 points per contest, but I do think that with New Orleans having that main score in Johnson with Ohio State being a very stout team down low, but not necessarily an up-tempo team, I think that it's going to be a little bit hard for them to win by margin, but I do think that both of these teams execute offensively. So, this is a spot where I'm going to be setting my total at a 155 here at a 156, looking at the under. And with New Orleans, I did set them as a 23-point underdog, so we'll take 24 with them. 3-6-5-93, You've got Rhode Island, and they're going to be playing us in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a 4 to a 4.5-point underdog, and your total is between 149.5 and 150, and with Rhode Island, I did set them as a 5.5-point favorite, so you're at a 4 to a 4.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It is a New Hampshire team that ranks in the top 75 now in terms of total possessions per game. They've really bumped up their tempo, and with New Hampshire, they've got one of the most skilled players in mid-major basketball. That'd be Clarence Daniels. Clarence Daniels, 19 points, 9 boards, shooting about 37.5% from three-point range, but with this New Hampshire team bumping up their tempo, it has led to them being a little bit less efficient on defense, and it's not to say that Rhode Island has been some sort of a defensive juggernaut or anything like that. They're 252nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 13 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road, but for New Hampshire, we have seen quite a fall-off with them. They're giving up about 105 points per 100 possessions on the road. That is well outside the top 150. You've got Ahmad Robinson. He's been able to do a nice job with giving about five assists to two and a half turnovers per game. As we deal with a little bit of injury, though, and you've got a New Hampshire team that, in general, has been a little bit banged up as they were missing for a game or two. Naheem Miller has been one of their top scorers with nine points per contest. It is a New Hampshire team that they always do a nice job taking care of the ball. Only about ten and a half turnovers per game, but you're noticing for Rhode Island, they're starting to find their identity a little bit more in the backcourt as it's made up of a bunch of transfers. Jaden House, Zeke Montgomery, Lewis Coatwright, these three guys, they've been able to do a very solid job, giving you combined about 36 points per contest with Montgomery. He shoots 38% from three-point range, and the big key for Rhode Island, taking care of the ball. About 13 and a half turnovers per game, but this is a New Hampshire team that they have been able to do a better job of turning teams over this season, but it's been against lesser competition. They've been playing against the likes of Stonehill, Sacred Heart, teams like this recently and even with going up against those lesser teams, New Hampshire has given up 70-plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, for Rhode Island, it's been a little bit up and down in terms of this team overall this season, but they've been able to do a little bit of a better job on defense, giving up 72 points or fewer, and now four out of their last six games, if you wanted to eat it back even further, seven out of their last ten games. It is a Rhode Island team that's well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, so you're going to get a little bit of a tempo war here. I do think that Rhode Island slows it down with New Hampshire not having a lot down low outside of O'Daniel. I do think that having David Futures being able to give you seven rebounds per game and having some skills guys down low for Rhode Island with a little bit of versatility it's going to be able to win out. So I did set my total 147 and a half, diving in on the under of the Rhode Island. Set them as a five and a half point favorite, so one to lay up to five with them. 306-595-306-596. Boston College is going to be playing us a Lehigh, and Lehigh is between a 15 and a half to a 16 and a half point underdog. Your total is between 151 and 151 half with Lehigh. I did set them as an underdog of 17 points. I'm going to be one to lay with Boston College. Boston College has really been able to ascend this year with Quinton Post becoming one of the best players in all of college basketball. Post at 7 feet tall has been able to shoot it at north of a 47% clip from 3-point range. 18.5 points, 3.5 assists, 2.2 blocks per game. Lehigh just has absolutely nothing that can match up with that. As a matter of fact, they've 
you've only got one guy that's giving you north of five rebounds per game and Don Perlin, who's been able to give you about 5.8 rebounds per game. So that's something that they certainly need to work on. You do have Tyler Whitney Sydney along with Keith Higgins, who have been able to combine for about 31 points per game with Higgins by himself, give you about 17 points, two steals, shoots about 37.5% from three. But all in all, it is a VI team that is only shooting as a collective about 31.5% from the outside. So that is something that needs to be elevated just a little bit for them. You've got a Lehigh team that also has been quite suspect in terms of their defense. When you've got a team that does turn the ball over like Lehigh does, they have been giving the ball away quite a bit. You need to be able to be sound on defense, and in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Lehigh clocking in right around about 261st in the country. Meanwhile, for Boston College, certainly they've not necessarily been the world's greatest defense. I know that their coach and Mr. Earl would like that to be a little bit better, but for Boston College, about 120th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 13 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road, and Jaden Zachary was a good primary three-point shooter a few seasons ago as transition into being a nice facilitator. 4.6 assists, 2.1 steals per game, only shooting about 27.5% from the outside, but runs a very efficient Boston College team that is only turning the ball over right around 10 times per game, and we've seen Boston College be able to beat up on the lesser competition. It is a Boston College team that has gotten to at least 78 points in each other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a... Lehigh team that has been all over the place in terms of their offensive production as well. Against Division One competition, 64 points or fewer in two out of their last three games. So it is a circumstance where I did set Boston College as a 17-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number and did set my total 145. Neither of these seems super duper up tempo, and I just don't think Lehigh does their part with the total. So looking at the under and willing to lay it with Boston College. 306597, 306-598. Akron is playing us to Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb is a 9 to a 10-point underdog with your total between 136 and 136 and a half. And I did set Akron as a favorite of nine points. So in this circumstance, I'm going to be willing to take anything north of nine with Gardner-Webb with seeing those tens out there. Gardner-Webb has been rough with their defense. They are now outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that for Gardner-Webb, they're going to be able to rise up a little bit more because while they did lose their top shot blockers, and Kareem Reed, along with LaFayle Dufil from a season ago. They have had Caleb Robinson be able to step up in the backcourt. He's giving you about 14 points per game, and Julian Sawarmo has been able to give you about 14 points per contest as well. For Gardner-Webb, they were rough from the free throw line last season, and they're shooting about 64% once again this season, but DQ Nicholas being able to ship in there about 2.5 assists per game. He's been a little bit helpful with that regard, and it is an Akron team that now they get Ali Ali back in the fold. Last he was at Akron, he was able to put in their 13 points. I'll lead the team to the NCAA tournament. But for Akron, it's not like they've been some sort of an amazing offense either. They're clocking in right around about 157th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And typically, this is an Akron team that hangs around on defense, about 127th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. You've got a very good big man in Enrique Freeman. It's going to be able to control completely dominate the game down low. 18 points, 12.5 rebounds per game. You don't have a single other guy in the roster, though, giving you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. That is concerning for an Akron team that doesn't necessarily generate a bunch of turnovers. They turn the ball over themselves about 13.5 times per game. You've got Ali Ali, who's been back for two games, and he's giving you a combined 23 points in those two games, but he's been rusty with a combined eight turnovers in those games as well, so it feels like it's a little bit of a work in progress with this team. You've got an Akron team that overall shoots about 35.5% from three-point range, and they're probably going to be able to get to a Gardner-Webb defense that hasn't been necessarily as great as it has been in past years, but I do feel like this number is a little bit over-inflated, I do 
do think that Ali Ali still trying to find his sea legs is something worth taking note of both in this game and moving forward. So, did set my total at a 137 yard at the 136 to 136 half. Going to be willing to go over as Gardner-Webb has been bumping up their tempo just a little bit and Akron not the defense that they have been in past years. So, going over and going to be willing to take anything north of 9 with Gardner-Webb. 306, 599, 306, 600. It is Purdue and they play us at Jacksonville. Jacksonville finds themselves as underdogs of 30 to 31 points, and your total on this game is anywhere in the neighborhood about 148 and a half to 149. Last time I took a Jacksonville under, that was a really bad beat, so hopefully we don't have the same thing going on here, but if Jacksonville is getting a garbage time bucket while up eight, then that would be quite shocking, as I did set Purdue as a 35 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. The one fear is that you have Purdue showing a lot of mercy going into the holiday season, but you've got Giant of the Year, Zach Eady, giving you a double-double. Braden Smith has been so good, giving you double figures. He's really been able to elevate a long Fletcher lawyer. The year one to year two bump that these guys have taken is tremendous. Would not be surprised if you see Purdue try to give some of their lesser guys a little bit more run. Maybe you feature a little bit more of Miles Colvin. Try to see what he's able to do. And these guys are still a whole lot better than what you're going to be getting on the flip side for Jacksonville. As for Jacksonville, it's just been a really rough state of affairs in general. I remember a few seasons ago, this was one of the better defensive teams in all of college basketball. And now they're finding themselves well outside the top 200 with that regard. You still have Bryce Workman who's been able to give you about seven rebounds per game, so he's still been able to do his part, but this is a Jacksonville team that on the road, they're giving up 116.6 points per one earned possessions, but they're just not holding up their end of the bargain offensively as well. They've been able to score 80 plus points in three of their last five games. One of those games went to overtime. The other two games were against Louisiana Monroe and Georgia Southern, who are two of the most rough teams at all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, Georgia Southern has not won a game all season long. Robert McCray has been able to give you about 17 points per contest, shooting about 35% from three for Jacksonville. You've got all of your top four scores. Three of them shooting north of 40% from three. The guy that toasted your under a few days ago, Marcus Nyblack, has actually been really good. He's shooting 41.5% from three. He had 29 points in that most recent game and overall for the season is logging 13 points per game, but this is a Purdue team that, while we take a look at the offensive numbers and the offensive explosion, we all gawk at it, but at the same time, this is actually a team that in terms of defensive efficiency, it actually feels like they've been a little bit more efficient thus far this season. They're giving up the same amount of points on a per possession basis at home. They're giving up about 18 and a half points fewer per one hour possessions rather than on the road. This is a still very stout defensive team that I think is going to hold down a Jacksonville unit that has been beating up on a lot of lesser competition with Purdue. They've had to go through Arizona and Alabama the last two games. This is going to be a nice fresh, uh, fresh air in which I do think that we could see a lot of backups in the second half. Did set my line at 35 and a half. Going to be willing to lay the number. I did set my total at 145 and a half. So diving under and going to be willing to lay it with Purdue. 306601306602. Central Florida plays also Florida A&M. A&M is a 23 and a half to a 24 and a half point underdog. Totals between 134 and 135. And with Central Florida, I did set them as a 26 and a half point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number with Florida A&M. Defense has honestly not been too bad for the CMR last few seasons. They just have been able to get absolutely nothing going on the offensive side of things. And I do think that it's going to be a sign of things to come moving forward for this Florida A&M team. Now, I will say for Florida A&M, they did get Love Bettis into the fold from NC A&T and from North Carolina A&T. He's been able to come in and has been able to give the team about 11.5 points per game, shooting well north of 40% per three. Big L to Keith Lamar, who's really been your lone man that's been able to score for this team. Six boards, 15 points per game, and is shooting about 39.5% for three points. But you've got a Florida AM team that is a rather low-tempo team that is outside of the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, 14 and after an overs per game. That is not what you want to see. Meanwhile, in terms of points, a lot on a per-possession basis, even though Florida AM is a little bit better on that side of things, they're still 354th in the country, so they're getting absolutely cooked with that regard as well, and they're going up against a Central Florida team that is a top 20 team. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, the 
They do a nice job generating nine plus steals per game with Jalen Sellers, Darius Johnson combined for about 3.7 steals per game. And Johnson is now shooting 37.5% from three with 15 points per game down low. You've got a pair of guys in Abrima Diallo along with Thierno Sila who've been able to give you combined 11 rebounds and Diallo gives you two and a half blocks per game. Omar Payne has been able to give you a block and a half per contest. This team does a great job of racing shots. Central Florida can be sometimes a little bit dicey in terms of their offense. This defense, though, it has been rock solid. Sands that upset that they took against Stetson. Really, other than that game against Miami, they've been able to do a really good job holding up at the point of attack defensively. I think that they're going to be able to do so once again against the Florida AM team that has given up 78 plus points in four of their last five games, and they took a loss to a Division II school in Albany State a few weeks ago. So, this is a spot where I do think it's a nice hammer area, and I do think that Florida AM is going to be the nail here. Set my total at a 134.5. I think that the defense wins outside of 135, diving in on the under, and one delay with Central Florida set them as a 26 half point favorite. 3 of 6, 603, 3 of 6, 604. Florida International going to be playing us in Maine. Maine hopes to not get Maine as a 2 to 2 and a half point underdog. Totals between 135 and a half and 136 half. Did set Florida International as a 5 and a half point favorite? I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Kellen Tynes. My series led all of college basketball in terms of steals per game with a little bit north of 3. And this series, once again, been the main guy for this team as he's been able to give you 13 and a half points, shipping in there about 1.9 steals per game, but it does feel like the main defense has been a little bit all over the place. They're playing it a nice, slow, grimy style, but they go up against the Florida National team that matches up with them, and now it's Arterio Dean on the FIU side that's leading all of college basketball in steals. Four steals, five assists, four and a half rebounds, 12 points per game. Both of these teams have their rebounding woes. For Florida National, you've got one guy on the roster giving you north of four rebounds per game. Peter Filipowski for Maine has been able to give you about seven rebounds per game, but he's the only guy on the roster giving you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. So it's going to be all sorts of sloppy on the glass. You've got a main team that's only shooting about 29% from three points. Jaden Clayton has done a nice job giving you about 4.2 assists per game, but I do like the way that Javante Hawkins has lit it up from the outside for FIU, shooting about 42.5% from three point range for a FIU team that is turning the ball over about 15 half times per game. Maine has done a little bit of a better job of taking care of the ball, but Maine has also played against a little bit of lesser competition and with guys like a Jonathan Ibar, Deshaun Giddens, along with Jaden Brewer, all being able to give you about eight to nine and a half points per game. You do have more scoring options when it comes to FIU. You've got a main team that has to hit the road for this one. And for Maine, I mean, to their credit, 65 points of fierce surrender in four of their last five games. Hasn't necessarily gotten it going on offense. Meanwhile, you've got an FIU team that certainly has been all over the place. In their last four games, they have scored 74, 60, 146, and 68 points. So, yeah, this is going to be a very random game, but I do think that FIU going to be able to generate those turnovers and protect their home floor in a game that I do think is going to be a little bit more more up and down against a main team that they did play a little bit more up-tempo a season ago and I do think that they had some things exposed against Central Florida where they gave up 74. So going to be willing to take a look at the overset my total 143.5. Florida National top 40 team in terms of total possessions per game and here at a 2 to 2.5 willing to lay the number set my number at a 5.5 laying it with FIU. 3 of 6, 6 of 5, 3 of 6, 6 of 6. Ben State is going to be playing us a LeMoyne. LeMoyne is a 19 to a 19.5 point underdog. Totals between 153 and 154 and with LeMoyne I did set them as a 21 point underdog so this is a number that I'm going to be willing to lay. It's Ben State team that has taken on the style of Mike Rhodes who comes in from VCU. This is a team that's really looking to bump up the amount of turnovers that they force as they bring with them a quite a few guys that were over at VCU AC season ago as you got Ace Baldwin who is a nice 35 plus percent three-point shooter is able to generate two plus steals per contest. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to instill some of that defensive toughness that we saw over at VCU. You've also got someone like a Nick Kern who's been a little bit more of an ancillary piece. And Kudaswab does a nice job of being able to pile up seven plus rebounds per game going up against the LeMoyne team that really doesn't have any 
anyone north of six foot seven on the roster. That's a big giant issue for them. You've been able to have Luke Sutherland be able to give you double figures for a LeMoyne team that they do a nice job of be able to take care of the ball. They only turn the ball over about eleven times for contest, but Keon Cleary, who's a six foot six, six foot seven, little bit of a combo player from Ball State, thirteen points, five boards per contest. He is the only guy on the roster right now that is currently giving you north of five and a half rebounds per game. It is a LeMoyne team that does shoot about thirty four and a half percent from three point range, so that's been halfway decent, but let's call it what it is. This is a LeMoyne team that was right around 500 in the uh, Division II level last season. They have really struggled here at the D1 level. They were able to pull off a nice win against CSUN, but even with their good shooting, LeMoyne about 261st in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, I will say for Penn State, defense has become a little bit more ghastly before this team, 115th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they've been significantly better at home, giving up literally 32 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road, and Penn State is going to need it because they have given up at least 76 points and now each of their last five games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of an up and down battle with the way that LeMoyne has been shooting from three, but I do think that there's going to be some coolage there, and as I was mentioning with Penn State, a significantly better home team rather than a road team with their defense. So I did set my total at 149, diving in on the under, and with Penn State, going to be willing to lay up to 20 and a half with them. 3 of 6, 6 of 7, 3 of 6, 6 of 8. Fairly Dickinson plays us to Fairfield. Fairfield finds themselves as a 1 to a 1 and a half point favorite. Totals between 155 and a half and 157. Did set my total at 154. Going to be looking at the under. Got a fairly Dickinson team that is still playing at warp speed in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And Fairfield has bumped up their tempo as well. Ever since Jay Young got canned a few weeks before the start of the season, they've been looking for their identity. They were a top 125 team in terms of total possessions per game, but in their last three games, they've been playing at a significantly slower pace, which is why I do lean to the under a little bit in this spot. But I also did set fairly Dickinson as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay this number because once again, you've got a Fairfield team that it just feels like they don't know who they are. They've had Jalen Leach be able to give you about 14 points per contest. It's a Fairfield team as a whole. They're not shooting it terribly from three-point range at right around about 34% from the outside. Bryson Goodine has been a really nice outside shooter, 46% three-point shooting with about 13 points per game. And then you do have Jasper Floyd, who's done a nice job. Give you about 4.8 assists, two and a half steals per game. It's a very, very top-heavy team with not a lot of rebounding. They are just now getting into the full six foot eleven Brima Sec, who comes over from New Mexico where he was a little bit of an afterthought and that bodes well for a fairly Dickinson team that famously didn't have any size in the NCAA tournament last year. They don't have a lot of size this year with Ansley Almoner along with Sean Moore combining for about 13 rebounds per game. Almoner is able to shoot about 37% from three-point range. It's fairly Dickinson team as well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But we also got a fairly Dickinson team that has been able to do a nice job being able to put the ball in the basket at home, averaging about 15 points more per one possessions at home rather than on the road. And you've got a Fairfield team that they're just 246th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis with not having a lot of size down low. I do think that that bodes well for Fairly Dickinson, and I'm able to ride with them as a money line underdog. Set them as a four-point favorite, so I'm going to have Fairly Dickinson outright and set my total at 154, so diving in on the under. 3 of 6, 6 of 9, 3 of 6, 6 10. You've got Davidson, and they're going to be playing us USC Upstate, and Upstate does find themselves as an underdog of 13.5 to 14.5 points. Your total's between 138.5 and 139, and with Upstate, I did set them as a 13.5-point underdog, getting 14 or more. Going to be willing to take the points as Davidson has had a little bit of a fall-off in terms of their defense. They had that nice win over Maryland, which has aged like milk, by the way. It's, it's been a really rough go of it for them there. Davidson's still a top-100 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis because they do have a lot of three-point shooting, but 
I thought that this was an improved Davidson defense. Turns out they're just playing super duper slow. They're outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, 174th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And when it comes to the Davidson team, they're not necessarily a team that's going to be able to dominate on the glass, which I think is going to be an issue against an upstate team, of which that's your Achilles heel. With upstate, you do have Amir Langless, who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game. They don't have much past that, but I mean, for Davidson, Reed Bailey has been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. And they do a nice job by committee of having pretty much five separate guys between nine and a half and thirteen and a half points per game with Davis Cogman at six foot ten, shooting forty two and a half percent from three. You've got Connor Kachera shoot about forty four percent from the outside, and Davidson only turning the ball over right around about ten times for contest, but for USC upstate, Trey no being able to ship in there about 12.5 points per game has been big. He also gives you about 3.5 assists per game with the USC upstate. This is far from like any sort of an amazing defense or anything like that, but they've been able to do a solid job holding up at the point of attack. It is a upstate team that I do think is just getting better and better as the season goes along as they did have to overcome the loss of Jordan Ganey in the offseason. In regulation, they've given up 70 points or fewer, not three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, it is a Davidson team riding a five-game win streak, but they really beat up on some lesser competition to say the least, and with USC upstate with them having a bedrath of different guys. They're able to shoot it from three-point range. All in all, it is a team that shoots about 35% from three-point range, including a 43% three-point shooter, Miguel Ayesa, who's really been able to step up. I do think that upstate going to be able to hold in this game. Set my line at 13.5, so 14-plus going to be willing to take the points. And did set my total at a 135.5. Do you think that with both of these teams not necessarily playing with a lot of pace. And with Davidson being all over the place in terms of their offense and expecting a little bit of three-point shooting regression on both sides, we're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring game. So diving in on the under, and I'm going to be one to take the points with USC upstate. 3 of 6 6 11, 3 of 6 6 12. Iona is going to be playing against Colgate. Colgate does find themselves as a one and a half point favorite to a one half point underdog. So this line is all over the place. Seeing some pick and lines out there as well. The total is 138. And if Colgate did set them as a three-point favorite, I'm going to be one to take them as Colgate last three seasons has been a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage and it's probably going to be a streak that comes to an end but they're still shooting it well from three-point range as overall they're shooting about 35.8% from three-point range with Keegan Records who's never really been much of a three-point shooter at right around about 6'9", 6'10", giving you about 10.5 points, 7.5 points, shooting 40% from three-point range and then Ryan Moffitt has been able to give you 9.5 points, shooting 39% from the outside. Braden Smith has had to become the do-it-all player because you have seen that so often with this team with Nelly Cummings along Jordan Burns, guys like that now it's Braden Smith, who's a feature man. 13 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, shooting only about 33% from 3-point range, but he's a part of a Colgate system that is only turned the ball over about 11.5 times per game. Now with Colgate, what has always been the question mark over the last few years with this team has been the defense, because in terms of their efficiency, sometimes it does leave a little bit of something to be desired right now. They're about 136th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but right now they're taking on an Iona team that has been leaving a lot to be desired on their defense as well, and for Iona, they've got a guy in Tobin Anderson that wants to push tempo, but he's just not able to with the current roster. For Iona, they have scored fewer than 65 points and now four of their last five games, they got completely lambasted against St. Joe's. You do have a guy in Isaac Trout who's been able to give you 13 points per contest, and Iona has old. They shoot 34.5% from three-point range, but down low, they're just getting killed. You've got one guy that's able to give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. That'd be Greg Gordon. Gordon has been able to shoot about 44% from three-point range. Just a little bit of a combo player, and they are now just getting back Omar Shema 
I mean, with Osborne Chema, he's been able to provide a lot of size over the last few years for Iona. He's a seven-footer, so that should be able to help out a little bit, but I mean, it's very questionable as to whether or not it's going to see his full allotment of minutes. You've also got, for this Colgate team, a little bit of size with someone like a Sam Thompson, who's able to give you about four or so rebounds per game if you need to go to him as well. You've been able to get some good production with about four boards, six points per game out of Jeff Woodyard as well, so I do think that Colgate going to be able to take control of this game. It is a Colgate team has been getting much better with their defense over the last few weeks as well. The Arizona game certainly was a little bit rough, but you know what? That's going to happen against Arizona and with Iona. They just have really been struggling with their offense. I do think that there's a little bit of positivity due in for both of these teams, but I think that Colgate executes better. Semi-12, 143, looking at Colgate outright on the money line, slash as a very slight favorite to go along with the over. 306613, 306614. Appalachia State and UNC Asheville do battle from Tarleton Complex as Asheville finds themselves as 10.5 to 11 point underdogs. Totals between 141 and 142. I said Appalachian State as a 9.5 point favorite. So, being able to get double figures with Asheville, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is an Asheville defense that has been having its issues all season long, but you've got perhaps the most dominant player in the game, Andrew Pember. Pember, about 17 points, 7 boards, and at 6 foot 10, he's been able to shoot north of 36% from 3 par inch. I absolutely love what he's able to bring to the table as for UNC Asheville. The points a lot on a per possession basis. 331st. That's a big giant issue, but they do now get to go up against a squad in Appalachian State that has been a little bit more rough with their defense as well. For Appalachian State, this is typically a team that they look to hang their head on defense, on offense. It becomes a little bit more of a dicey situation, but actually their offense has been able to rise up quite a bit this year as you've been able to get a lot out of the likes of C.J. Hundley, who's been able to give you about 6-plus rebounds per game. He's chipping in their double figures. It is a bunch of shooting in the mid-30s from 3 point range as well. This is much better than what we have seen in past years of them as well. You still do have quite a few guys down low that are able to man things, but with UNC Asheville, you also have Caleb Burgess, who's been able to do a nice job throwing out the ball with 6 assists per game. Fletcher A.B., he's able to shoot north of 40% from 3 point range. I think that Appalachian State should still have a nice advantage with the likes of a Trayvon Spiller is giving you about 7.5 rebounds per game and also getting Justin Abson going for about 3 blocks per contest. Absolutely, but at the same time for Apple, I should say this is a squad that they still do have a few warts in terms of the perimeter defense. They've been able to do a nice job holding on to the ball with about 9.9 turnovers per game and this is going to be a little bit of a weird environment as well as a UNC Asheville team that has scored at least 70 points at all before their games against D1 opponents this far this season. Meanwhile, for Apple, I should say they have been really cooking with their offense. At least 80 points in each of their last three games, but a lot of it has come against lesser competition. This is a little bit of a step up for them, so I did set my total at 145. I do think that you're going to get enough possessions for and over Appalachian State, playing a little bit more quickly this year, but I do think that App State holds within single digits, so set my line at a 9.5. We'll take the 10-plus with Asheville and the over. 306-615, You've got Troy playing us Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky does find themselves as a 3.5-point underdog, and your total on this game is between 115.5 and 151, and with Troy, I did set them as a underdog of two points. So I'm going to be willing to take Eastern Kentucky outright on the money line. It's an Eastern Kentucky team that year in and year out, they're generating nine plus steals per contest going up against a Troy team that has been playing quite up tempo, but their numbers are warped by the fact that they play that double overtime game against Oregon State. They played a few other games that were not wrapped up in regulation. So that makes their offensive numbers look a whole lot, a lot better than what they are. And for Troy, they've had a really tough time holding on to the ball. They're turning the ball over about 15 and a half times for contest. They lose a lot of their backcourt from a season ago. Christian Eugene 
Eugene has been able to give you about 15.5 points per game and shot it well from three. And then Amir Muhammad has been able to give you about 11 points on 34% three-point shooting, but don't have a lot of rebounding on the team. Nobody gives you north of 5.3 rebounds per game, which you get that out of Thomas Stout. And when you've got the likes of a Michael Moreno along with Devontae Blanton, who are a pair of guys combined for about 12 boards, they're both able to shoot it from three. That's big. And Isaiah Cozart leads all of college basketball in terms of block shots. 5.4 blocks, 16 points, 9.9 rebounds per game. He's going to absolutely dominate the glass in this one. Wellen Walker is able to give you about 4.5 assists per game as well for an Eastern Kentucky team that shooting about 32.5% from three now. If you've got trepidation with this Eastern Kentucky team, it is the fact that they only shoot about 63% of the free throw line. That is rather rough, but you've been able to have quite a few of these guys be able to step up. You're getting now about 7 points per game. Uh, Tayshawn Comer has been able to shoot about 32-33% to 33% from three. He's a good ancillary facilitator as well. It is a bunch in Eastern Kentucky that you're in and you're out. They look to push the tempo a little bit as well, and we've been noticing that this Troy team has really been running out of steam in terms of their offense. Last two games against Division One foes, they've scored 70 points or fewer in every one of them, and now they've given up 74-plus points in now three of their last four games against C1 teams as well. I do expect very much an up-and-down battle. Semi-12, 156, looking at the over, and I'm looking at Eastern Kentucky. I'll ride on the money line with their turnovers being able to win the day. 306-617, 306-618. you got Texas Southern, and they're going to be playing us to Samford. Sam Amford finds themselves at 6-6.5 point favorites, and your total is between 154 and 154.5 and I did set my total at 147.5. I'm diving in on the under. While Sanford is playing at warp speed, while Sanford is committing all these fouls, you've got a Texas Southern team that's currently in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and year in and year out, this is just a Texas Southern team that they look to play lower-scoring games. They can never shoot to save their lives, and that's the case once again this year. They're well below 30% three-point shooting, but I do think that for Sanford, they should still be able to go out there, dominate this game, and I do think that Sanford might be able to slow things down a little bit more because now they've got a little bit more rebounding. They were dealing with an injury to Jermaine Marshall. Things really cranked up tempo when he was out of the fold. Now he's back as he and Anchor Anchor are able to combine for about 11.5 rebounds, 25 points per game. Both of these guys do shoot north of 37.5% from three in. I do think that Sanford should see a little bit of regression in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. It's a Sanford team that has a whole. They're shooting about 40.5% from three-point range. And for Texas Southern, they have been rather rough with their defense as well. So they've now given up 77-plus points in four out of their last five games. But certainly it is a Texas Southern team that they themselves having a tough time being a hold up their end of the bargain offensively as well as they have scored 71 points or fewer in now three out of their last five games. So this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with regards to the Sanford team, do they fall quite a bit? Yes, but when you don't have guys that are able to knock in those free throws much like Texas Southern. Now for Texas Southern, I will say they are in terms of three-point shooting percentage defense right around about 300th in the country, but I do still expect a little bit of off. This is a Texas Southern team that I really can't trust in this scenario because they did lose so many of their top flight guys from a season ago. Davon Barnes being out of the fold has been rough. You've had P.J. Henry, their top scorer, being in and out of the fold as he's been a double-figure scorer for this team. He's been able to give you 14 points per game, and I'm thinking he should be good to go in this one despite the fact that he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. You're starting to get Xavier Paul back in the fold as well, but he played that game against Purdue a few weeks ago, and now he's been out of the fold ever since then as well. Jonathan Cisse, the transfer from Incarnate Word last season was a double-figure scorer, and it does feel like 
He's starting to find his sea legs a little bit as well. Shooting about 38.5% from three, but all sorts of inconsistency. Over the last five games, he has scored 10, 9, 0, 13, and 18 points. So he has been pinballing all over the place. And it's a Texas Southern team that is only committing about 12 turnovers per game. So to their credit, they're looking to slow things down. But they just haven't been able to knock down shots against the Sanford team that does a relatively solid job of being able to close out themselves. So I did tell my total on 147.5, diving in on the under. And with Sanford, willing to lay up to nine with them. 3 6 619, 306, UTSA, meet me for the Roadrunners. They play us to Army, and Army does find themselves as a 6 to a 7 point underdog. And your total is between 141 and 142. And with UTSA, I did set them as a favorite of 7 points. So here are the 6. I'm going to be one to lay it. It's an Army team that ranks well outside the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. They had a coaching change in the offseason, which why they had a coaching change in the offseason, the world may never know, but it has resulted in Army losing so many of their top flight guys from a season ago. They still have Charlie Peterson, great name from a season ago. He and Josh Govins have been able to combine for about 11 rebounds per game. Govins has been able to give you 12 points per game, but what has really suffered for Army is backcourt, shooting only about 54% of the free throw line, 13 and a half turnovers per game, despite being in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. And now they go up against a UTSA team that I think is going to be able to take it to them with the fact that they do play quite a bit more up-tempo. UTSA, 38th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and they should be able to do a nice job down low with Dre Fuller, Carlton, Lingard, combining for a little bit over 13 rebounds per game. Lingard, 1.7 blocks per contest, and he's actually shooting 40.5% from three. I think we should see a little bit of a fall there, but UTSA as a whole, they shoot about 35% from three-point range. Now, while Army has been really rough on the offensive side of things, UTSA has been a disaster on defense in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. UTSA, 289th in all of college basketball. Not like Army is doing some sort of a sterling job themselves. So 156th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And to their credit, they're actually giving up about three points fewer per one arm possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. But against C1 competition, we have seen this Army team give it up 70-plus in three other last four games. And for this UTSA team, they are coming off of some better results. They've given up fewer than 70 points and now two other last three games. The offense has been able to keep them in games for the entirety of the season with Christian Tucker being able to log about five and a half assists, 13 and a half points per game. And I think that he's going to be by far the best guard out there, and they're going to be able to lay it on an Army team that's just in all sorts of transition with that coaching change willing to lay up to 6.5 with UTSA, and did something total 143. I do think that Army going to be able to find a little bit more offense, and I do think that this game going to be cranked up tempo just a little bit with Army also being able to get to at least 68 points in three of their last four games. So looking at the over, and going to be one to lay with UTSA, 3 of 6, 6, 21, 3 of 6, 6, 22. South Alabama plays those at Alabama A&M. A&M does find themselves as an underdog of maybe between 14 to 14 and a half points, and your totals between 147 and 148 and a half and I did set South Alabama as a favorite of 13.5 points. A year at 14 plus, I'm going to be willing to take those points with Alabama AM. AM is quite gutted from last season. They did lose three of their top four scores from the season ago, including their true seven footer. That was able to do a tremendous job down low. But that said, this is an Alabama AM team that still does have Dallin Smith in the fold, who's been able to do a nice job delivering 15 points per game. The big key for them, holding up down low. They don't have a single guy that gives you north of four rebounds per game. But for South Alabama, they've only got one guy in the roster giving them north of 4.2 rebounds rebounds per game. So while Alabama A&M is going to lose the battle down low, it's not like South Alabama provides great size. Thomas Howell is a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player that comes in from Louisiana Monroe. Last year shot in the high 30s from three-point range. That's down to about 21.5% from distance this year. It's a South Alabama team that was once again in the uh, bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Alabama A&M, while their defense has been ghastly, they're 353rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're allowing about a point less per one-hour possessions when they're on the road rather than when they're at home. And for South 
Alabama. They're actually giving up more points at home per possession at home rather than on the road, and they're 299th in the country with that regard. So you've got a pair of teams that are just not executing very well on offense. They're having a brutal time on defense. You've got an Alabama A&M team that, to their credit, they've gotten to at least 70 points at each out of their last three games. For South Alabama, credit where credit is due. Last two games, 80-plus for them, but they've also been held to 55 points here fewer in two out of their last four games as well. And for South Alabama, they've been beating up on a lot of non-D1 teams, at the very least for this Alabama A&M team, because they have to book all these bye games. They've really had to challenge themselves, so it's a pair of teams that they don't play fast, they don't play defense, they have a relatively rough time with their offense. Really, the only guy that gives you north of 10.5 points in this game is Isaiah Gator, with about 15.5 points per game, Sand Smith, and him leading the way for Alabama A&M. So, a little bit of a something's got to give scenario. I do think that South Alabama has better athletes, but laying two touchdowns here is something I want no part of. I did set my line at a 13.5, so I won't take 14-plus with Alabama A&M, and I did set my total at 149.5 with the way that both of these teams have played zero defense whatsoever. So, looking at the over, and going to be willing to take the points with Alabama A&M, 3 of 6, 6, 23, 3 of 6, 6, 24. You've got Miami playing against the Hill. Sonal is a 27.5 to a 28.5 point underdog. Totals between 151 and 152.5, and with Miami, I did set them as a favorite of 35 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Sounds absolutely ridiculous, but no Chad O'Meara has been able to do a nice job down low, logging a double-double for Miami. I do still think that Miami's going to be in for a little bit of regression in terms of their three-point shooting, but you still have Uga Poplar, who's one of the best just pure shooters in all of college basketball. 17 points on 51% three-point shooting as a whole. Miami has been turning the ball for 13 times per game, but they're shooting about 41.5% from three-point range. And typically when you think of regression, you think of, oh, all right, they're going to be playing against some team that does a really good job of being able to guard the three-point arc and everything like that. And for someone else, this team is well outside the top 200 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. It is a Miami team that has been able to generate a few turnovers as well. Now you've got Max Zigorowski for this bunch in Sonil was able to do a relatively solid job, giving you about double-figure amount of points in that neighborhood of about 4.5 rebounds per game, but you don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game. To the credit of Miami, they're actually 18th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and with a Sonil team that has nothing really other than the backcourt, Tony Felder has come in from BMI and assist to turnover ratio, too. That's just a really bad matchup for the Sonil team, and with Miami, they're a team that they push the tempo a little bit more, but that said, they're an inefficient defense, very efficient offense, and with Sonil, the team as well outside the top three in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis and it's playing with some tempo as well. So he set my total at 161, looking at the over and willing to lay it with Miami. Set them as a 35 point favorite, 306, 625, 306, 626. Indiana plays those to North Alabama. North Alabama does find themselves as a underdog of 13 half to 14 points. Totals between 147 half and 149 and I did set my number at 12. I'm going to be willing to take the points with North Alabama. North Alabama has been playing at a top 40 pace in terms of total possessions per game and I think that they hold in there against an Indiana team that while they look a little bit better in their loss against Kansas while they were able to do a little bit more against Michigan on the road a few weeks ago. They play a one-point game against Morehead State and for North Alabama. So they've been dealing with a few injuries in the backcourt. Now they've got K.J. Johnson back in the fold and his two games back, eight assists and two turnovers per game. He should help to all out an offense that has been having a lot of guys come to the forefront with their three-point shooting. Will Sosi has been able to shoot 54.5% from three. Overall, North Alabama shooting 36% from the outside. Jakari Lane has been able to give you four and a half assists shooting 37% from the outside. And Johnson himself shoots 38% from three-point range. North Alabama going to be outgunned down low as you've got Darion Forrest 
who's really been the only guy giving you north of six rebounds per game with about eight and a half rebounds per game. And you've got Clear Ware, who's going to be the most dominant fourth down low in this game, a block and a half, nine and a half rebounds, 15 and a half points per game, and is shooting 40% from three. But Indiana is dealing with their backcourt issues as well. Xavier Johnson has missed five games thus far this season due to injury. We haven't seen him here in the month of December. So Trey Galloway has had to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. And that leads you to have to play like four forwards out there from time to time. CJ Gunn is getting more minutes. They're hoping for a little bit out of top 150 recruit Gabe Cups, and he has not been able to deliver much of anything whatsoever as well. So it's been a really tough time for Indiana to be able to get points out of their backcourt, their frontcourt, as we able to do a masterful job. But Mackenzie Mbakpo has not necessarily been the world's greatest fit as well. And I do think that with North Alabama, they're going to be looking to turn this game up tempo a little bit more. I think that they're going to have success with it. And I do think that North Alabama is going to be able to shoot it well from three against an Indiana team that's really lacking in the backcourt. Did set my total 150 looking at the overhand with Indiana. Could only make them 12 point favorites. So looking at the points, we wrap things up up with 3 of 6, 6, 27, 3 of 6, 6, 28. LSU is going to be playing as Lamar. LSU is a 14 to a 13 half point favorite. Total this game and between 152 and 153.5. And and I did sell Lamar as a 14 half point underdog here at 14. I'm going to be willing to lay it with LSU. Don't want to be laying anything more, but with LSU, they have reinforcements on the way. Jalen Cook, the transfer from Tulane, who last year had 19 plus points, was able to do all 5 plus assists per game. He's in there, and that's big for an LSU team that prior to him coming back, they didn't have a single guy that was going out north of 2.5 assists per game. So I do think that his reinsertion into the lineup is big to help out someone like a Jordan Wright. So it will give you 15 points per game for an LSU team that does rank in the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They had a tough time taking care of the ball with about 14.3 turnovers per game, but they've also got a Lamar team that's turning the ball for about 13 and a half times per game as well. And it's a Lamar team that you've got pretty much five out of your top six scores giving out north of two assists per game and nobody with north of three and a half assists per game. So it's been very hodgepodgey with that regard. Lamar has actually been a rock solid offense in the top 125 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and it is a Lamar team that's looking to crank up the tempo there in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game, but with Lamar, this is also a team that has been giving up the arc quite a bit, 243rd in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, and you do have a guy in Adam Hamilton that's able to give you seven and a half boards, 11 and a half points per game, and Trey Anderson, about five and a half boards. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to flow the offense, give you some steals. BB Knight has been able to shoot 45% from three, and as a whole, Lamar has been able to do a nice job shooting in that neighborhood about 38.5% from three-point range collective. I do think what comes up must come down with that regard, and I do think that LSU going to do a nice job of being able to generate some turnovers. LSU has been vulnerable from three-point range. We're in 12th in the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, Lamar, 315th in the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, so I do think that both of these teams knock down some shots, but neither of these teams I do think is going to be able to take great care of the ball, which I do think is going to bog down this game. So by 12, 115 after having it on the under of LSU. Set them as a 14-half point favorite, so I wanted to lay the number and that will wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer this in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnn underscore one. Keep in mind, Larry Zam, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. I had that five star review. A big thanks once again to Eli Becker. Does great work over at Heatex EBB as the main founder over there. I will be coming at you guys every single day. That'll be college basketball season. Means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.